Nervous Rex, a Neon Genesis Evangelion podcast that is 50% first-time watch, 50% rewatch, and 100% opening the gates of guff this week on the podcast. My name is Joe. I use he and they pronouns. I'm joined as always by Chris. I'm Chris. I use he, him pronouns. Uh, and I just realized that when I record this show, I sit in my chair like all like benched, like, uh, like punched over like L from Death Note. It's got to be terrible for my back. Probably. He seems pretty miserable in that show. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, that's a mystical third voice in here. Oh, shit. Who are we? Who, who is the, th- the 3.0? <laughs> Who's joining us? It's none other than Ben Roswell. Yes, uh, I'm Ben Roswell, and I use he, him pronouns, and I can't wait to tell you about how I first saw this movie. Yes, I, I, have, I have referenced it on uh, previous episodes of this here podcast, Nervous Rex, and the Genesis Evangelion Fought Podcast is 50% rewatch, 50% first time watch, 100% opening the gates of guff this week on the podcast. Uh, and I'm really excited to finally, to finally dig into that story. And also this plot of the film, <laughs> you cannot I, redo, uh, yeah. which is it, its own uh, can of bullshit. But yeah, so we'll uh, start with, I think, Ben, how the fuck you saw this movie. And then we'll talk about, we'll hear your first, your first takes. And then I want to hear Chris's first takes, which I'm very excited about as well. <laughs> I'm, I'm very excited to talk about this movie. I, I know that there are some people in the Orange Groves who are very mad at me for this truth. But for many, many years, the only... Neon Genesis Evangelion I had seen was the third rebuild movie. Nothing else. Not the other two rebuilds, not the end of Eva, not any of the first 24 episodes. <laughs> Just this movie. Which I think is a galaxy brain move. <laughs> Something that you could not intentionally will. Like, I I couldn't possibly, like, show up to Fast and the Furious 7 and be like, yeah, I haven't caught the other ones, but, like, surely I'll just you know, a friend's go and I'll join them. Like, I don't even, I don't think I, I am brave enough to pull that. No, I, I, it really was a move of galaxy brain braveness for me to sign up to talk about this movie. <laughs> and the way I saw it was at a midnight screening the summer it came out at Otakon, uh, in a hall of about 400 people. Oh my God. Without my glasses on. <laughs> I was like 15. I probably should not have been up that late. Uh, I did not know what was going on. It was my first Otakon and my first like really, really big anime con. Mm-hmm. I didn't so, really... so this this <laughs> film came out 2012 initially. What's but that would have been summer 2013 or was it? Uh, it was either summer 2012 or summer 2013. I think it might have been summer 2012 because I have the feeling that it was. I could really reverse engineer this if I went on Facebook, but I'm not going to do that even for this podcast. I'm trying to remember. I I, th- I think this might have been a November movie, so it might have been. It might have been summer. It might have been summer 13. Uh, it was like either the summer right before or right after my first year of high school, um, which means I was depressed as all hell and looking for some way to understand myself. Oh, this is the film for that. <laughs> yes. And uh, just figuring out I was trans. And um I just sat in the back of the hall and kind of absorbed this slowly and figured that, like, everybody else must know what was going on. <laughs> and that this this was just like <laughs> or that, like, I had missed something that, like, somehow somewhere there was like a Rosetta Stone that would let me understand the like fact that this movie feels like every third scene is cut out. God, I wish I had that Rosetta Stone still now. <laughs> Because th- th- I think this movie feels intentionally made to make everyone feel that way. 
Right. Which is actually, I think, why I kind of love it. I've I've come around on it. I, I A lot of people are really hard on this movie. I think understandably so for a lot mm-hmm. of reasons. I I was really excited to rewatch it because I was like, is it going to click with me more now? And it did. Uh, so then I signed up to watch this podcast, to talk in this podcast, and then was like, oh, I'll watch all of Eva before this happened. That did not happen. It's a lot of, it's a lot of TV. I it's a lot of TV, and also this year is wild, mm-hmm. and I haven't done anything for, like, months. So I watched just the third Rebuild movie again last week in prep, and I was like, wow, this still doesn't make any sense. <laughs> and then last night at, like... 1am was like, wow, I'm still wide awake. I'll watch the first two Rebuild movies. Like the machete order, as they call it. Yeah. So I watched the first two Rebuild movies at 1am on my back porch, smoking the last fourth of a Cuban cigar, and really just taking it in. (laughs) And then I watched the third Rebuild movie again this afternoon, and it still doesn't make any sense. Yeah, great. Uh, This movie doesn't make sense at all to anyone. It's very special in that way. Mm Mm-hmm. So, Ben, you've obviously been online. Like, this movie is the most apocalyptic text next to maybe End of Ava. Mm-hmm. But, like, so if that being your entry point into this whole franchise is is this very specific movie, maybe the weirdest thing with Evangelion on the label, surely you saw other things online that seemed kind of normal, like in passing. Like, I know a lot of people who saw a lot of Kaworu and then we're surprised that he's only in one episode when they first watch the show. Like, what? what is that? What's it like to be online with this very specific pair of glasses on? Well, I, like, I think, like, most people, I kind of assumed that Kawaru was a much bigger deal, but only because I had seen this movie in which he's a much bigger deal. And mm-hmm. I was like, people who say he's not a big deal are wilding out. Like, uh-huh. <laughs> didn't, didn't you see this movie that I saw? But, like, I, I honestly avoided a lot of, like... Uh, most ever like i really wasn't like like i was obviously on tumblr and like on twitter and stuff and like had friends who are in anime who are into anime but i was never like i like i did my anime phase i did my years in the naruto mines mm-hmm. and then i almost immediately got out of like anime fan western anime fandom just dive pretty quickly back into like book fandom and stuff so i just didn't really i wasn't really around people who were talking about eva a lot I saw a lot of, like, jokes and stuff, and, like, but my understanding of Eva was really limited to, like, the memes. Mm-hmm. I, I, I have posted in our chat now um, my favorite images to come out of Evangelion, which is Surf's Up, Shinji-kun, and Kaworu-bunga. Yes, I, I knew these these two images very well. Everyone should. Everyone right. should. But, like, the, the two things that were really exposed to me about Eva were sort of, like, the memes of, like... And that made sense to me, because I think that, like, when you're faced with, like, a really obscure and, like, absurdist text, you kind of, like, oh, it totally makes sense to make memes out of it. It's why we make mm-hmm. waiting for Goto, Goto jokes, right? Like, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead jokes. Like, it just makes... It makes sense. And then the other we, thing... We talked about this a little bit on the End of Ava episode. Like, so many people deflect with... with you know, memes about it because it's just such a bleak and depressing text to engage with intellectually. Right. And uh, I recently watched uh, AI, Artificial Intelligence, a Steven Spielberg joint, which mm-hmm. is like so genuinely bleak that a lot of people are just like, this is stupid, this is silly, when it's like, no, this is super depressing if you like give it an ounce of your time. <laughs> right. And then the other thing I was really exposed to was like sort of like fandom that's about like 
triangulating the Rosetta Stone of online creator stuff. Mm. And so it's a lot of like, oh, there's Eva references in Steven Universe or whatever, without actually ever really talking about what Eva is about. Yeah. And so I, I kind of basically went into the rebuild movies like this week, not exactly unspoiled, because I listened to some of your podcast. And Thank but you. like never really having had a first hand experience with Eva besides the weird strange Otacon one. Mm-hmm. And was like just really actually pleasantly surprised. <laughs> like, um, I really enjoyed these movies. So this is actually this this comes up on uh something that we talked about actually on our 1.0 episode someone mm. we we were like what does 1.0 look like to someone who hasn't seen the show because it is just kind of the first six episodes of the show mm. but a little quicker so it's interesting to hear that you really like it yeah i mean i think i i i could definitely see how somebody wouldn't like it especially if they're coming at it from somebody who thinks that like the original who loves the original show because it's it's very like even watching it without having seen the original show i could kind of tell that it was like that it was, like, skipping a bunch of stuff. It felt like it was trusting me to make a lot of jumps. It has a weird pace. And it and its pacing is weird. I kind of feel like, like, half as much happens in 3.0 as happens in 1.0 and 2.0. Not as a knock against it, just as, like, a weird pacing thing. Mm-hmm. But, like, at the same time, I kind of liked that it was trusting me to make the jumps and not trying to over-explain itself and, like... I really loved the animation of it. Um, I was really surprised about how much I really enjoyed that. And um, I enjoyed that they, it took a lot of time to get us situated in, like, the physical space of Nerve. Mm-hmm. Which then I really appreciated going back and revisiting the third movie for the third time today. 333, three, three, yeah. 333, three, yes. Exactly. I was just doing it for the symbolism, obviously. And I, I don't know, it was like, it was like a really enjoyable experience. I assume that I will, when I eventually get back to watching the the original Eva stuff, I assume I'll probably enjoy those because I like apocalyptic texts and I like things that talk about gender and sexuality and stuff, especially if they're mm-hmm. not doing it super obviously. Well, gender has nothing to do with love, as Kachi says. Yes. I'm kind of curious what the show looks like to someone who has seen the movies first, just because Kachi is much more grating i think in the show yeah i was i was surprised um to not hate kashi i mean obviously in the rebuilds he's like still pretty kind of creepy and shit but like i didn't hate him <laughs> like i'd yeah i i'd heard a lot of like people especially my friends who are like re-listening to the, watching the show along with your podcast and like especially i listened to like the first couple of episodes that you did where kashi was in them and mm-hmm. was talking a lot about how, like, how creepy he is and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I was, like, really prepared to hate him coming into this and just was like, oh, this is just, like, he's, like, kind of creepy, but he's also, like, has some pretty genuine moments in this. And it, yeah, it feels I, I a think lot more balanced. Two, yeah, 2.0 does him a lot of justice, and I feel like he's written more like, yeah, this guy's, like... A little bit like he he is a movie character like mm-hmm. if you met han solo in real life he'd be a fucking asshole piece of shit but because he is a movie character in, in star wars i'm like this guy's cool like you know it's it, i like watching him and i think in the show mm-hmm. kaji is way more of like a, a nuanced real person that makes me uncomfortable to think about the way he acts around children whereas mm-hmm. in the movie it's like the the way that movie is like framed and paced like a blockbuster and the way he is written in that movie where also he does genuinely nice things before he's weird. Yeah. 
it, it's like I feel like it plays more in his strengths of being like, yeah, this guy's like a good supporting character in this movie. I don't yeah. like you know, it he it's he does weird stuff, but it feels played exclusively for comedy rather than like I don't know how I feel about him making uh, uncomfortable jokes at Shinji and Masato's expense. Mm-hmm. And I also like I don't know I had a little bit more fandom brain. I I'm somebody who really likes to analyze stuff, but I also came out of that like uh the 2.0 rebuild movie being like so they the three of them were having threesomes in college right <laughs> yeah and like and like kind of enjoying the like the exploration of the uh i forgot her name the engineer and masato and um kaji's like sort of Ritsuko. try ritsuko's like sort of like i en- actually enjoyed the exploration of their, that relationship even though it wasn't like a healthy or good relationship I think that's mm-hmm. sort of the same thing you're saying about, like, movie relationships. Like, in real life, I would be screaming at everybody, all three of them, to get out of it. But, like... that, Yeah, that's, like, me re-watching uh, The Empire Strikes Back, where it's, like, a go back and forth of, like, is he a creep for coming on to her? And then I'm, like, someone will say, like, no, they definitely fucked in between the two movies. And I'm, like, yeah, well, when you say it like that, it's, like, yeah, cool, this is just, like, a movie... A, a, a movie relationship like it's it's sci-fi it's genre right and also like it's this isn't real life like this is a world yeah. in which everything's fucked and the what gates I- of guff are opening and we're not even talking about it <laughs> right, it's actually a right. little alarming that we haven't talked about the gates of guff yet <laughs> um yes we should talk about that we should hear about chris we should hear chris <laughs> Yes, yes. We, I, I, I'm sure we'll talk much more about your, your very specific uh, perspective on Ava as this continues. But Chris, um, what the fuck do you think about 3.0? Holy shit. Remember when I said last time that there's so many versions of this story and all of them are good? Oh, no, are you taking it back? <laughs> I have been forced to take it back. They took no! it out of my hands, Joe. It's bad. This, yeah. The milk's I... gone bad. It's bad. Um, the... I think I think this movie's goal is to get that rise out of people, and for that, I respect it. It's called You Cannot Redo, but maybe they should have. <laughs> oh, this give is me, be a right. really polarizing episode. Yeah, and here's the thing: like, there are so many people who are who like are on Chris's side of it, so it's good that we we get all the perspectives. I I I was also in that boat where i was like i think going like going into this podcast i was like oh yeah i like the show a lot you know end of ava is a complicated but uh you know ridiculous achievement for animation mm-hmm. uh the rebuilds are in my, my opinion the rebuilds like one is the same two is a you know incredible blockbuster and three is weird and i, I don't know how i feel about it um now i have decided i like three <laughs> i actually have like a hot take oh give me that hot take which is like i think that three is screwed over by the long release time between three and four. Oh, 100 percent yes because like i i mean i don't actually think this is that hot but like it really feels like act four of hamlet do you know what i mean like where like things are about to happen but they're not really happening and you just have to watch the misery happen yeah i hate when hamlet opened the doors of guff and then they didn't do anything with that that was weird <laughs> Right, right, the, right. The last, the last act of this movie is fucking insane. Um, and and we'll get into the gates of guff uh, as they <laughs> open and then and then subsequently close. But I, I I talked about this on a previous episode. The original plan was for 3.0 and the fourth movie to come out at the same time. Like they were supposed to be a back to back release in 2012. I can totally see that. This move, this movie was so intense of like a production and the way it looks. Like I think I think it looks great, and I can tell mm-hmm. that it was like a lot of work that they were like. They were like, uh, due to that and some, you know, like, uh, a, a 
Anno has been on the record saying that he's like struggled with uh, getting all of the right ideas he wants on the paper. Um, he's like, yeah, we're pushing it back. And it's been eight years. Like, like I think this, I, I'm confident that this movie will have a slightly better, I'm, I'm not, I, I'm confident. I could be wrong, <laughs> but mm-hmm. I think that this movie will shine in a better light once we see where it's going. It's, it's, I compared it before to, I am much softer on Infinity War now that I've seen Endgame. I was like, oh, they actually followed up on grief. I didn't mm-hmm. think they would do that because it's the fucking MCU. Right. Yeah. I really didn't like this, and I think it might be my least favorite thing we've watched for the podcast, but I am open to that uh, that theory that it will look better in comparison when we've seen the thing that was supposed to follow it up. It's I. This is something I briefly touched on in my Final Fantasy piece, but this movie feels the most cruel any Evangelion piece has been. Yeah. Um, and I, I find that decision fascinating. I, all, all I can do is find it fascinating until I see the next movie. Like, and it's, it's a weird limbo. Chris, welcome to hell. I've been here forever. Like so, yeah. so many of us have been here for years. Um, and, uh, I, I hope that your excitement for the next movie, um, you know, maintains as we wait for I mean, however it's long definitely, until it comes it's out. It's definitely dropped a lot. Cause I was really excited to watch this one. Cause two, yeah. I like loved. And so I was like in my seat, like, okay, let's do it. And then just like lost me like pretty quickly actually. And so now I'm like, well, I'm still excited to see what four is, but I'm not like jumping for joy, raring to go, you know, like when, mm-hmm. when you said you were excited, I held my tongue. And, uh, yeah. after you, <laughs> after you left, you know, Andrew and I talked a little bit longer and, and they were like, oh yeah, I've heard it's divisive. And I was like, uh-huh. <laughs> and, and, and continued to, to hold my tongue. But, um, uh, I, I'm really curious to hear about the specifics and, um, uh, your, 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 your takes on like what you don't like, why you don't like it, but we should probably do like some sort of recap up top um before we do that i don't know whose turn it is or if it matters i watched this movie nine days ago because we've delayed recording twice (laughs) yeah i've watched i watched it ending about 30 minutes ago so (laughs) i do do you want to try and recap it then and we can jump in if we yeah i'm gonna need your help because i've not recapped something on a podcast i think in ages oh well it's like uh the top of my resume um (laughs) I have a lot of notes, but I wrote them the day of, so I'm, mm. like, rereading them now. The biggest thing is that I think the opening set piece of this movie fucking owns. <laughs> yeah. So, like, we have a... We we have, like, the... It, the movie starts and has, um like, the, the intro sort of, like... It doesn't have an opening music sequence or opening credits. It just cuts right, like, from a couple of, like, uh you know, what do you call it? Brand splashes of the, the makers of the movie right into... um. Asuka and, um, what's her name, Mari, uh, like, Mm -hmm. coming down, re-entering Earth's orbit from a space station, I presume, on, like, this, like, long-winged shuttle, Mm -hmm. uh, which is really beautifully animated. (laughs) They're dropping towards, like, a black cross-shaped box that they're supposed to retrieve. Uh, Asuka lands on it in Eva, I think it's... Into Unit 02, and as she lands, uh, the black box unfolds, and it creates, like, this beautiful swirling, like, sheets of metal turning into ribbons that the Eva identifies as an angel, has blue blood. That's how you know. Yep. The, uh, thing inside the box, which is Unit 01, awakens enough to destroy the angel, then deactivates and falls back to Earth. We We see... Kaoru 
like, watching this. And then we cut to Sinji. Yeah. (laughs) I think the laser beam that the weird box that has Unit 01 in it shoots is cool. It is cool. I think think the opening thing just looks really fucking cool. And I'm like, cool, I'm on board. This is cool. And then a bunch of shit happens (laughs) for a long time. And then, like, yeah, basically nothing else happens that's cool uh, until, like, way later. Yeah, Shinji wakes up, and he's he has a choker on his neck. Fashionable. It is pretty fashionable, honestly. He's, like, wheeled around and wheeled into, like, the, the cockpit of, like, a ship. Masato is there. It's about 20 minutes of him not being told jack shit. Yeah, very intentionally vague and confusing for both Shinji and the viewer lots of yeah. new characters um all all new you know surroundings because mm-hmm. i don't think we've mentioned this yet but it's like 14 years have passed since the last one right yeah because that that's that's dropped like 20 minutes in because like yeah. at, at the opening set piece you're like oh yeah i mean there's the the planet below them is red but uh the fact I, they introduce in like a later scene a scene that i like that when they say that like 14 years have passed all of the the pilots still look exactly the same. There's a lot to unpack there and we'll get into it. I like that scene a lot. Um, but the fact that we open on visuals of like Asuka and Mari looking exactly the same and then Shinji looks exactly the same makes that drop of like 14 years, like completely fucking baffling. Yeah. And I, I also, for me, for a while, I just lived in a world like that. This was how Asuka looked like, like because this movie was my first movie. Like I was never like shocked when she didn't, when she looked like this. Like, I think that, like, mm-hmm. for people who come from the original TV show and come from the first two Rebuild movies, like, you're supposed to, like, see that first look at her and think, oh, something is wrong. Um, because, yeah, you know, she's Yeah, there's, like, duct tape on her suit. There's the eye patch, which is, uh, I think, you know, playing to the fact that she had an eye patch and lost her eye in End of Evangelion. Right. But the, but what's, in, what's, particularly mean i think about this movie is that uh everything in the teaser at the end of 2.0 is a fucking lie mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and <laughs> other than the fact that she wears an eye patch they keep that i guess but yeah like that that teaser is setting up like a very different conclusion that looks probably more like the first half of end of evangelion which is what i think a lot of people expected like a bunch of bullshit action before the world started to implode on itself whereas mm-hmm. this movie like just says no Shinji goes into like a weird cryo sleep for 14 years right and also all the teenagers still look like teenagers right and one of the things like i wish was more i wish there was a like i i'm gonna i'm gonna be the eva 3.0 defender on this episode i think but at the same time has to be uh but i think at the same time i i do wish that like there was just a little bit more information like not like a ton i think i'm i'm pretty happy with it just throwing us in the deep end right but Mm -hmm. like I do wish that I had some information about, like, has Shinji just been in a cryo sleep and he just happens to wake up right now? Or, like, is it because Eva 1.0 fell back to Earth and then, like, we're able to get him out of it? Like, where has... Eh. eh. Well, that's the thing. Like, if if we think back to the show, when Shinji gets, like, too high of a sink rate... Right. ...is, like, stuck in the Eva for, like, a full episode. Like, that's, like, a whole deal when it splits him back out. Yeah, is... the soup episode. Yeah, the soup episode where he like yeah, there's a lot of uh, a lot of great visuals in that. Presumably that 
still probably happened. Like he was pub- like he's still stuck in there. That seems to be what this movie is implying when it starts. But like, you know, also Ray was in there when he saved her at the end of two. Kawaru mm. comes down to do something uh, after stopping the third impact from doing more damage than it did. It, this movie makes it very clear that it did a lot of fucking damage. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like it's the, 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 th- that gap, that 14 year gap is barely filled in. And it's pretty much just details of like what happened to these characters, like who's still here, who's not. Um, which I think it's, it's a very interesting decision. Like, I think this movie, like, I don't think this movie is like, a lot of people are like, oh, this movie's poorly written because it doesn't explain anything. I'm like, I feel like there's a very intentional barrier between... No, right. Like, I... Yeah. M- my complaint is mostly that I wish they had moved the barrier back about 10 feet. I don't want there to yeah. not be a barrier, right? Like... I like the barrier. I, 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 A lot of my things about this movie is I wish it was a little bit longer to spend, like, more time with moments or, or yeah, to have, a, like, some better conversations or, like, more information. But uh, it moves pretty quick mm-hmm. um for 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 doing it's weird because you said that like less happens in this movie than either of the other two and i feel like i agree but also i feel like on some level it's trying to do more than either of the other two movies did. yeah i think i think that's where like the weird pacing comes in because it's trying to do more it's like so weird it's like it's trying to do so much more layering and like addressing ideas and lore than the other two movies but like a lot of that is through nothing like no events happening. Yeah, a lot of it's through uh, Shinji and Kaworu hanging out. <laughs> and doing, having a movie maker piano montage, right? Like... It's... God, yeah, that's We'll get to it, we'll get to it. We, we yeah, should finish so, somewhere, I think. Yeah, Shinji is, learns that 14 years have passed. Uh, it's all very confusing, and Masato's very, very mean to him. And he's like, hey, well, you know, I'm back now. Uh, I, I referenced AI earlier, but it feels a lot like that, where at the end of that, like, 2,000 years pass, like, in the last minute of that movie, and, mm. uh, what's that kid's name? Uh, Haley, Haley Joe Osment, uh, like, basically doesn't even, like, acknowledge it because he's not a human. He's just like, all right, yeah, well, cool, like, I'm still the same, I, like, I can just go back to exactly how things were now, unaware of the fact that 2,000 years drastically changes the environment he's in. Whereas Shinji, like, not grasping that 14 years have passed yet, just like, oh, if there's an if there's an angel, I can go help Oscar. Let me get in the robot. And everyone's like, oh, the last time this kid got in a robot, the entire world basically ended. So we're mm-hmm. all like, everyone really hates that idea. Um, and a lot of these characters, you know, we're we're seeing hate him, who we don't know yet, and also Shinji doesn't know yet. Mm-hmm. And Masato just basically ignores him. Um, she's got a very different design. Ritsuko has a very different design. She has short hair now. I liked her new look. Yeah, I, I I assumed you did because it is like the same as your partner's look. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> I have been waiting for us to get to this movie for precisely that joke. <laughs> I have a type. You're right. <laughs> uh, all that being said, uh, yes. Yeah, so they like their cockpit like goes up into this like higher section and leaves Shinji behind. He's left with this girl. I don't know if we learn her name yet. At some point, we learn that this girl that's staying with Shinji and talking to him is uh, Toji's younger sister, which is, who is now, you know, basically Shinji's age. A- age in air quotes, whatever that means which in was, this movie. Yeah. Which was cool. That was, like, something in the movie that, that I did get excited about when they, when they revealed that that's who she was. Yeah, yeah. I, think, I think it's, like, um, it's right after, like, we, we see Asuka 
and the the new ship beat the angel, which is just like a net. Is the it net even angel. an angel? They're like it's, it's like attack drones and shit. I mean, this is. I think they. I think that they. Uh, it's implied that they are like angelic attack drones, right? Like they, because I, I mean, they do say like they do specifically call something an angel in that opening sequence. I couldn't fucking tell you. We'll get to my criticisms of things like that later, <laughs> but. Yeah, uh, everything in this movie feels like it's just not telling you. Like it's 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 using words that we have no like right. like well, no basis for and it's like, well, if what are they fucking fighting if not an angel? My whole understanding is Ava fight angel and they're fighting like weird drones that I mean kind of look like angels, but they're say not saying they are. Right. I so I I think that like the first assumption I made was that they were angels because they're the same thing that was on the box in the opening sequence. They called that thing in the opening sequence an angel, so these must be angels too because they look like the same thing, but that's not necessarily true because lots of things look like other things in Eva. Yeah, I'm I'm looking at the wiki and it says that they're just called like a, a, attack drones, um, which eh. I guess I've, I... I th- yeah, I think they're being sent by Nerve, which makes sense mm. once you see the rest of the movie and realize this isn't Nerve. Even yeah, like this movie, I does th- I do think plays better on a rewatch, just because you're not like once you understand all the information that it wants you to have, I think you can better piece together like, oh well, this is just supposed to not, this is just supposed to be nothing. Like mm-hmm. this is like like the gates of guff probably don't mean anything. It's just very funny for me to say, and it, that and that's the thing. I think that the movie is very much throwing all of that at the viewer. Uh, the same way just throwing it at Shinji. So for, like, maybe the first time, he actually kind of works as a good audience proxy. Because you're like, I don't know what the fuck is happening, and he's also like, I don't know what the fuck is happening for this whole movie. And also, we want to kiss Koaru, so, you know. Exactly. And, yeah, Real so he... audience right <laughs> <laughs> Uh He, yeah, so that choker that he has on him will explode if he pilots any uh, Evangelion units. Mm-hmm because of the third impact happening um also this wiki is saying that the third impact is why the pilots don't age i don't know if that's true but uh so ray wasn't recovered from his unit but the walkman was Mm -hmm. which to him confirms that he definitely saved her because it came with her which is important but uh they're like no she's she's dead She, she didn't come back after that and this is yeah so this big scene uh with the glass in between him and Masato and and Asuka as she re-enters um this is where all that information is kind of dumped on him he's like right. they're like that's yeah, been it's been 14 years you were you were stuck in the core of that Ava uh we got you out because we needed the Ava as a power source like this this big ship that they're on the i think i i think the decision to uh to show the big dramatic cool set piece of it taking off and fighting the drones when we still don't know what the fuck is going on is weird yeah so they're on this big ship called the wonder which is powered by ava unit 01 and mm-hmm. we we also learn i don't know if it i don't know at what point we learn that this isn't nerve and it's uh, a new organization that misato started breaking from nerve called um, i think it's willie willie uh wiley 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 coyote um, so the, the medical, the nurse who's, uh, Toji's sister is, like, yelling at him to leave, and he's like, well, why can't I help Nerve? And I think that the right, right then we learned this isn't Nerve, 
Right. Yeah. Because well, like, there's, a, there's a lot of times he asks questions and they just give him silent treatment because they are so mad at him, which like right. does not help him. He is still 14. <laughs> he does not understand. I know he caused the apocalypse, but he he was an accident. <laughs> speaking of speaking of not understanding, there's a scene when they tell him like, oh, if you pilot an Evangelion, like the, the collar will whatever they say the words your life will be taken from you and shinji's response is does that mean i'll die and at that point uh-huh. i was like shinji, shinji should really be back at school <laughs> you should really like <laughs> that should be it's, fixed it's gotta be hard to be cryo sleep for 14 years and come back and 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 be faced with this uh this experience it's much like watching this movie after watching 2.0 feels much like i imagine shinji feels um mm-hmm. maybe that's intentional doesn't mean it's good well, but <laughs> one one thing that i did like about the kind of drop-in effect that we're describing is i liked how it felt kind of like the characters and the experience of being dropped back in gunbuster after like six years had passed or whatever yeah and and i liked that it, you know it's not this way once the movie unfolds but i liked that like my initial impression was that they were leading us to believe that masato has become the new gendo she kind of had like that like she had like glasses on and they kind of had like a similar steely demeanor and she was like clearly in charge and like it kind of makes you think like oh shit did like masato like replace gendo or something and like you know it she didn't but it was kind of like a cool thing to think about at the time yeah her position in this organization is a little i think similar to what gendo does and the fact that she is so cold to shinji i do think is meant to mirror what he is used to from gendo yeah interestingly enough that you know 2.0 the the screenplay of that is paced such at such as they are actually kind of getting closer by the end of that movie which is kind of a bizarre choice if you're coming from the show but i think is interesting for that movie Mm -hmm. and i I think is very important going into to this film is thinking about like yeah shinji was like kind of having a work relationship with his dad when everything ended like he had he kind of went out on a high note Mm -hmm. and he's coming back in on the lowest imaginable note which is which is 14 years ago you caused the like a, an apocalypse and the people who survived just rescued you <laughs> and you don't know shit um and uh, yeah Asuka so she shows back up after they're in the air and, and is on the other side of that glass wall from him but uh, you know punches the wall she has an eye patch she explains that she, I think she's the one who drops the bomb that has been 14 years and he's like but you look the same and she's like yeah because for some reason we can't fucking age and a lot of people are like Hey, that's gross that you don't let your teenage characters age. And I, I'm partly why I'm really glad we covered or, or why I really wanted to cover Gunbuster on this episode, because I think I, th- I think this is kind of an intentional callback to that same sort of idea of how, you know, certain traumas caused by certain things can can emotionally stunt growth. And like, yeah, these these people are always going to kind of be stuck as their teenage selves forever. Um, I don't think it's nearly as effective as Gunbuster as it's just kind of tiny little nugget of this movie uh so that way their designs look basically the same uh but i do think it is playing with a very similar idea just so much quicker and with not as much depth yeah i also couldn't stop thinking about um that i i bet you talked about it a ton on the second rebuild movie episode about the line where um mari says like why should I involve uh adults in the business of human uh, business of children mm-hmm Right. And thinking about, like, kind of... It's just, like, a, I think it'll be a weird touchstone. One of the things I was thinking about watching this movie for the third time was um, the intentionality craft in his Dark Materials, where you can't, you can't pilot it after you've been exposed to 
original sin. Like you just can't. <laughs> I've seen I've seen this this piece of media talked about a lot, and the thing that you're describing talked about a lot, but I have no personal experience with it. In it, there's like the idea that like essentially that like your demon settles when you become an adult, and you know essentially like who you're gonna be as an adult, and when trauma sort of not necessarily trauma, but like when your experiences as a child reach a point where like they're just going to be affecting you for the rest of your life. Right. Mm -hmm. And that like in that moment you fundamentally change and like you can start to commit sin because you are somebody who understands the world for the first time and Mm -hmm. like has powerful choices for the first time. And so there's a lot of talk about like whether innocence is real or whatever. And like a lot of his dark materials is about like reclaiming (laughs) that, like, like letting kids choose when they enter adulthood more powerfully and there's there's some like complicated things and it's not perfect and unproblematic or whatever but like there's a a thing in that which is that like it is you are fundamentally different when you are a child and can't understand the world than you are when you are adult and can right and your choices Mm -hmm. are like in the in his dark materials they're fundamentally like epistemologically different and there's things that you can do like only pilot this like ship when you're an adult because only then do you have the power to like actually shape intention right but on the other hand there's like you can only reuse these like miraculous tools when you're a child because you're not stained by sort of like the politics and mess of and theology of the of the adult world and i i kind of feel like eva is doing something very similar but a lot more complicated and a lot harsher and and I'm I think with helpful. just such a a huge canon behind it, like you you like mm. you enter that idea in three with I you know presumably at least two movies worth of information on right you know these characters and these experiences, and it's asking you to imagine like it's asking you to imagine Oscar living through hell for fourteen years and blaming it on the boy she is now seeing for the first time in fourteen years. Right. And I don't know if it really does that concept a ton of justice in this movie, but it's really swinging. Yeah. This, for all of its shortcomings, this movie fucking swings for it. Right. And also, like, and it wants you to, like, understand that these kids, like, do want to reach the adult world. Like, they do want to understand the mm-hmm. politics and the Which theology. I think is very, uh, you know, compelling, juxtaposed to how those same themes are tackled in the original show, especially with Asuka. Mainly with Asuka, this movie doesn't have enough Asuka and it's a huge shortcoming of it. Yes. Um, I love her. I mean, I she should have be complicated the main feelings about her, but, <laughs> but uh, I really enjoyed her in 2.0. Um, yes. I wish 2.0 had a little bit more of her as well, even though I've gone on the record calling that movie basically perfect. <laughs> but yeah, no, that, that idea of like, uh, you know, like there are things you can do as an adult that you can't do as a child and the difficulty of like yeah. crossing that barrier, the existential dread that comes with that barrier. Uh, it's a, and then, uh, has everyone here seen seminal classic uh, Polar Express? Yes. That's like that whole movie is about that. Where like, if you can't hear the bell, you've, you've lost that sense of childlike wonder. Um, and yeah. it's also that, that themes in a lot of, um, like uh miyazaki movies as well as like boundaries and crossing them and like sometimes you can't go back you have to learn to like work to fit into new societies and i i I think that what is so interesting about eva is that it flips it from most of the reason like i would compare eva to his dark materials but not to like narnia or 
the Polar Express, actually, is because it kind of flips it, which is that the other people think that, like, the the innocence of childhood is, like, fundamentally good, right? But in the in His Dark Materials and in Eva, it's it's saying, like, actually, there are things that you just cannot do as a child or cannot understand or cannot grasp, right? Mm-hmm. And yet you still have power because you are a child, right? And And, like, I think that, like, flipping it and saying, like, no, it's not that things are inaccessible to adults. It's that there are different things that are accessible to adults than as children. And we have yeah. to just fucking deal with that, right? Mm-hmm. Well, that's, like, uh, a big thing about, like, Spirited Away is, like, she is able to move around this world when her parents can't because of, like, her childlike sensibilities. and mm-hmm. But also to fit into that world, she has to get a fucking job and like even when she's trying to leave it's like these people aren't even mean there's just like rules that you have to follow it's like you have to pass this stupid test that i can't not give you if you want to go home right like oh my god does spirited away hit different as a 22 year old in who has a job that is too adult for me Uh (laughs) i mean actually my i feel like i'm really adult enough for my job but like I started, like, a real job at a tech company as my first real job, which was a Mm -hmm. huge jump from being, like, I have never really, like, I was running semi-professional theater in college, but I wasn't being paid, like, I wasn't on contract, you know, I didn't have a daily schedule, and so to jump from, like, that to, like, no, every day I go and sit in a tech worker's office and do tech jobs and get called into meetings and asked my opinion on what product we should buy. Right. And like, I think the rules are stupid and bullshit, but also I know that there's rules and I have to follow them. Yeah. Ooh, boy, does like spirited away hit different going back after crossing that barrier. Mm-hmm. and being like, Oh, actually this is about like trying to navigate an adult world without also giving up your innocence. Right. Yeah, which I think, I mean, of the Miyazaki movies I've seen, Kiki's is my favorite, which kind of deals with that, too, which is like, mm-hmm. it, it's it's doing that and also, uh, you know, old society meshing with, like, industrialized new society and a bunch of other shit. Uh, right. Howl's, Howl's, Howl's Moving Castle is also really great about that stuff, um, but also war, uh, of course. All that being said, uh, Chris, I would like to pull you back in to this conversation with something <laughs> that I forgot to bring up. There, There is a new director credited on this movie uh on top of the the three that we're used to ano uh suramaki and uh, masayuki there's a there's a new fourth name added that uh you might not recognize the name of but if i told you that they worked on the animatrix you can probably guess which short from the animatrix they did i'm gonna look like a bad matrix fan right now because it's been i have not seen the animatrix since it came out that's that's kind of fair which one which one is it it, it's uh, the second Renaissance 1 and 2, which we've talked about on this podcast before. Oh, but the- is that the one where the robots, like, first overthrow shit? Yeah, and it's got a lot of great, like, multi-layer digital screens that the camera, like, passes through, which this movie does in, like, one thing where, like, a bunch of shit's being explained to Shinji, and it's just, like, these, like, this digital like, this digital screen going through, like, a hundred different visuals at once on different layers in the frame, and I'm like, oh, yeah, he's on this movie. I forgot. But I can tell yeah. just from that. That's cool. He doesn't like he hasn't really done a lot else uh, that I've I'm like looking at their their credits. Um, and I learned today that he did concept art for Fury Road. So that's cool. Yeah. Holy shit. Hell yeah. Anyways, uh, the plot, 
continues where uh, the the kind of end point of that scene where they're you know yelling or well everyone's yelling at Shinji. He's kind of yelling out of confused, sad teenager uh, situation that he's in. Um, he's convinced that Ray is definitely still alive because he saved her. He hears her voice calling to him, and he's like, "Does anyone else hear that?" And they ignore him. Um, and as he's like, he he just shouts back to her, and then a big fist comes through the wall and it's uh unit zero or well it looks like it it's not really we'll learn and i think this is when shinji learns that it's not nerve he's like why is the ava unit attacking nerve and they're like well this isn't this is this new place will a because nerve sucks shit after the apocalypse happened that you did Mm -hmm. uh and you know after the experience he's had he decides to go with this ava unit um which i think they refer to as adam's vessel um, not really sure what that means, uh, uh, <laughs> but they say how, it. How could you be? Yeah, so he goes off uh, with with that, um, and... Well, he, we have to say that he hears Ray's voice. Yeah, yeah, he hears her voice, which is why he goes and assumes that she's in it, um, which he's not really. And uh, I think the most, no- like, as they're escaping, I think I think Mari tries to chase it for a second. Maybe I'm thinking of a later scene. Um, but what's, uh, what's, what's notable that I have written down is that as that unit is escaping with Shinji in hand, um, Masato pulls out the detonator to his choker and cannot bring herself to do it before it's out of range. And I'm like, okay, well, she has more humanity than it at first appeared. Um, like she still cares about him a little bit too much to, to detonate him, even though it's very possible that he could, uh, try to end the world again. And, uh, wouldn't mm-hmm. you know it, it happens again anyway. So that's a little thing. Uh, oh, I was trying to think the other day of I, I'd seen something recently that had a really late title card, and it's this. I wrote down that the title card for 3.0 comes in 33 minutes in, which is yeah. fucking galaxy branch. <laughs> uh, and then he wakes up to that unfamiliar ceiling again, and Ray is there, but she's in a plug suit, and she seems uh, a little weird. Maybe not. The Ray that we're used to, of course, coming from the show, we're used to there being a lot of different Ray clones, and mm-hmm. the movies up to this point kind of treat her like a singular person until that, and that kind of is why uh, Shinji saving her matters in 2.0, um, which works for 2.0 uh, more than it does for this movie where she's just gone. Uh, but sh- yeah, so he's like exploring this dilapidated, destroyed nerve that's just super empty. Um, he sees Kaworu playing piano. That's fucking weird. Uh, and he goes to meet Gendo and Gendo is just like, yeah, you're going to pilot this new Ava unit 13 with Kaworu. And there's like a spotlight on him and this new clone Ray and Shinji's like, Shinji's like weirdly okay with this. Like he's going back to his normal job, even though he's in like a Mad Max set, like he's in Thunderdome. Mm -hmm. And it's weird that he's just like, all right, cool. Well, I'm the Ava is what I know. So I'm going to get back in it. Yeah. I mean, I think it felt better to just be in a space where people were like wanting him there as opposed to like waking up and like being around all the people that you used to like know and like, and they're all like, fuck you. So it's just yeah, like, right. well, this like ruined base with my mean dad isn't ideal, but like this feels more comfortable than the alternative. Yeah. And again, like 2.0, I think ends on a, a little bit of an upswing on his relationship with his dad. Like he, they have that big fight and he comes back and it's like, I'm going to pilot the robot. And he like does the big thing um, in front of his dad. So like, I guess that's is a little better than um, 
how Masato is treating him currently. Although she didn't kill him. He doesn't really know that, but uh, she didn't. Yeah. I mean, his relationship with his dad is basically the same, which is must be comforting, you know? In, it's normal. Even if it's fucked. Yeah. Joe, who are you saying didn't kill who? Uh, Masato did not kill Shinji when he left. Oh. Because she, 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 she could have detonated that choker and she couldn't bring herself to. I see, mm-hmm. I see. Yeah, a lot of things just kind of quickly and quietly happen in Nerve. There's a scene with uh, Sele, who, like, isn't responding to, to Gendo, and Fuyutsuki is, like, doing continuing this job for Yue's sake, he says. And then all of the gay stuff happens. Because my notes just say piano scenes. Yeah. Shinji and, and Kaworu spending time together, and him, Kaworu teaching Shinji how to play piano. And they play piano together so well that, like, two horses appear on screen. And then everything is ran <laughs> through a rainbow filter. And it's so funny. Like, at that point, like, again, this is something that I think, to me, played better on a re- rewatch knowing what the movie was doing to me. Like, it's, like, not... It, it, it's such a zag away from what 2.0 achieved. It's like, we're going in a completely different route. Fuck you, we're alienating the audience again. Which is... I, again, like, I love End of Evangelion, so I'm kind of down with being alienated against from this this medium. But at this point, like, knowing that this movie is kind of zagging like that and getting to the point of just, like, yeah, straight up rainbow filter horses on screen, I'm losing it. I think it's hilarious. <laughs> I mean, I like I, that stuff. <laughs> I, I have to say, the moment the horses appeared on screen, I was like... Hmm, I don't trust any movie that uses horses horses as a shorthand that things are okay. So obviously <laughs> something's not okay. Good call. <laughs> I there's a lot of things that I I talk about wishing I could see opening night to see people's reactions to. The horses showing up in this movie is one of them. <laughs> um my number one will always be uh the fight scene in Breaking Down Part Two. I really, really I would give anything to see that movie opening night. But this is up there as well, the horses and the rainbow filter, because it's just so funny. But I feel like if you're watching this movie expecting, you know, tonally consistent follow up to 2.0, like like what happens next? Like that that big uh, that big cliffhanger, all that great action that felt very Ava. This movie is like very intentionally giving you the opposite. And then this fucking happens. Right. I the first time I watched this, I just did not uh, absorb the fact that Koara was an angel. I think because in part I had never seen like I didn't see him on the moon in 2.0. I didn't see him getting born in 1.0 like everybody else did. Or or episode 24 of the of the actual show. Right. Like I just so I think the first time I watched this it just that one line where he's like oh I'm an angel skip me by. <laughs> like <laughs> uh and so I was like oh I don't get what's going on here but it's what? it's sad. I just it's sad. I just realized what the fuck does like Angel, like angel could is just a word like this movie being the starting point i feel like angel has to mean nothing to you oh yeah no it meant less than nothing yeah. <laughs> i was just like they don't even say angel to like one hour 20 out of one hour 35 right like i i was just like oh yeah i guess it makes sense like lilith is like a demon i know i know that lilith exists so I guess who, who this among makes us sense. isn't familiar with old Lilith, right? And then, but like, and then like I was around on the internet and like heard 
listened to your episode of, on Kawaru and was like, holy shit, he's an angel. And then, <laughs> like, oh my god, like, why did nobody ever meme about this? And then I, and then I, coming back and watching this movie, I'm like, wow, I sure should have realized he was not human watching this the first time because he's not like drawn like any other human other humans like it's not just that he has red eyes it's just like his his face is just a little bit off and Mm -hmm. his voice is just a little bit off and like he's designed like jude law like he looks too pretty to be real so it just kind of looks unsettling like a normal human who is in the uncanny valley yeah he looks like a model who's just been photoshopped just a little bit too much yeah um which works but (laughs) But it works, so I'm like, how the fuck did I watch this the first time and not realize that, like, something is really scarily up with this boy? Yeah, well, yeah, and then and then later, of course, he goes on to say that I am simultaneously the first and 13th angel, Alpha and Omega, right. the beginning and the ending. We're all... It doesn't really mean anything in the context he says it in. Like, it's, it's lore that just bounces off of me. As soon as we are done with this podcast, I am going to watch a lore breakdown vid. I'm sure, yeah, that's the thing. The thing, like, similarly with being very into Kingdom Hearts, as I, as I am, it's gotten to the point where I have spent so much time with the source material trying to process its information that I don't want to listen to any other explainers because I can't, with any confidence, believe they are right. <laughs> and, yeah, that's, yeah. I, and that's kind of why I don't want to listen to the fucking 47 Timelines video because they could be, they, they could just be wrong. Like, I know what position they're in, because I'm in it. Look, I was around when Blade Kind Eyewear was talking about the end of Homestuck. Like, I know how it works. <laughs> That's a niche Tumblr reference for all y'all out there. I don't know the name, but I'm familiar with, with when Homestuck ended. Oh, Blade Kind Eyewear was somebody who, I think, wrote probably hundreds of thousands of words on Homestuck speculation about Homestuck lore. And mm, then, like... And the Gigapause. And, the, like, during the Gigapause. And then was... The gigapause unhappened, and they just sort of walked through a door, and it was over. Uh huh. Well, it, it, yeah, of... it became full anime, and then it had a. I mean, it came first, but it was essentially the same ending as uh, Taz Balance, from my understanding. Yeah, no, it was. It was exact. Is the ending is to Homestuck as the ending of Taz Balance is to Taz Balance, which is that like about twenty minutes before it, I lost all interest because I could see the rails were on too hard. Oh yeah, it's like too many. Uh, too many bows are tied. All that being said, yes. What the fuck happens in this? Oh, piano duets. Um. So all the nerve shit's fucking weird and like uh, shit. Like the rainbow piano sequence happens, but then also Shinji will realize the shirt he's wearing used to belong to Toji, and he'll realize that he died because of him. And it's like that tonal whiplash is so. I don't know how to feel about it. Like I guess it's like that's probably accurate to what Shinji feels like. Like this is maybe the most any Evangelion thing is trying to make you feel how Shinji does. And it's just like really disorienting and not a great time. Like this movie isn't fun to watch. Even, even the action set pieces that are like successful near the end are just like, what? cause at that point you're more confused than anything. I think, um, mm-hmm. although I, I don't know, I think this movie looks fucking gorgeous. So I, I probably like it more than a lot of other yeah, people. And I, I do want to talk about the architecture at some point. Cause I got a lot of feelings. As you get closer, you notice that there's like almost like a heat wave effect, that sort of like wobbly mm. stuff in your yeah, vision. I could, just, I could just touch it. I mean, you don't want me to touch it? I could touch it. You could just touch it. Well, let's touch it together. Oh, you want to do rock, paper, scissors? Let's do rock, paper, scissors. Okay, ready? One, two, and then I touch it. 
That was a clip from Very Random Encounters, an RPG actual play podcast where we randomly determine as many details as possible. Every season is a completely new story, so we recommend starting off with the first episode of whatever season we're currently running. Once you realize it's your new favorite show, you can dig into the backlog and enjoy stories of strong alien women, communist superheroes, transgender skeletons, and other things that will scare your conservative uncle. That's Very Random Encounters. Find it at www.vre.show or in the usual places. Very random encounters. Yeah, so uh, the big stuff in Nerve is like, Ray doesn't remember anything that happens. She only follows orders. Mm-hmm. There's a scene in there I want to talk about, too. Go there, go for it. Now's the time. Where is it on my notes? Um, he, he, he keeps like being like, oh, you should do something with your time. You should read. And he brings her a bunch of books from, I guess, a library that Nerve still has. We don't see it. We just see him bring her books that she never reads because she is like a mindless clone. Mm-hmm. Okay, here's here's what it was. He finds her like naked, and I think he's like, oh yeah, tells her like put on clothes or something, and she goes like, only if it's an order. And I was just like, first of all, why is everybody always got to be naked in this fucking series? And also, the only if it's an order thing, I was like, get out of here with your weird self insert shit. I really felt like that was like, so like I don't know. It felt gross to me. It is of, gross. Like, I don't know if I would read it as any sort of like self insert gro- grossness, but it is gross. Mm-hmm. A, a woman being there to be like, oh, well, if you insist that I put clothes on, otherwise I don't want to, and but I, I'll follow your order. I don't know. The whole thing made me feel weird. It is. I think it is, like, supposed to be uncomfortable, Um, but I, I think it's, at that point, I am so rooted in, like, the the way that Ray is repeatedly cloned for, like, I don't know, Gendo wants to keep her around or whatever, and all the fucking baggage behind Gendo making a teenage clone in the image of his dead wife um who died because of his research like there's so much fucking baggage with it i don't think that during the show i ever fully comprehended that that was a that she was a clone of of shinji's mom like i must have like known but like i don't think i really like knew knew that while watching the show it's text but it's never like said out loud and i like yeah i never wanted to say it out loud on the podcast because i was like eventually Eventually, it'll come up and Chris will know, and I won't have spoiled yeah. it. But it turns out, no, they never, like, it's only explicitly said in, like, the booklet that was handed out at screenings of End of Evangelion, where they're like, yes, Ray is specifically made with what was salvaged from the experiment where UA died. I got the impression mm-hmm. that they, like, basically came out and said it during this, because I was like, oh, that's just, like, a fact they're saying, which I don't think I realized for much in the show, but maybe I just, like, they just gave me enough but it, yeah. wasn't, it still wasn't outright. But it felt outright enough to me that I was like, oh, I didn't, I don't think I knew that. There, there's some lines, I think, in, I don't remember which episode of, maybe, I don't think it's in the Veva because Shinji is completely nonverbal in the first half of that movie. So I would imagine it's like episode 24 or something. So no, Shinji says something about like comparing Yue and Rei in a weird way that's like supposed to make you think if you haven't put it together. Uh, 2.0 is pretty pointed with Gendo seeing UA in Ray, but even that's mm-hmm. like, yeah. Well, there's there's also like some like Evangelion plays really good on a rewatch when you know this shit because uh there'll be episodes early on where Shinji's like, oh Ray, you you wring out that washcloth like a mother would, and that's like a weird thing to say to anybody, and then you're like, oh, well, that's because like she literally reminds him of his his mom because she is, and it's fucking yeah. weird. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yes. 
uh, all that baggage to be said, I think it's, it, it is uncomfortable, but I think it is pointing to like how uncomfortable it is that Ray has been made to be this way. Rat, like, I, I, I think it's supposed to be uncomfortable, but I wouldn't point it at like a self insert. Like you can, you can debate about whether or not it's effective at what it's trying to do. Or if it's just gross, I think it works for what I think it's trying to do. And it's pretty quick. Like it, those shots don't or didn't to me feel fan servicey. Like, I think there's very little fan service in this movie, and it's. I think it's just like one shot of Mari at the end that I thought was that. Mm-hmm. They do promise fan service all the way to the end for the fourth movie, at the end of this one. It's yeah. You know, sometimes you commit to a bit, and it's. Who knows? Maybe, it's funny maybe. that like they still said it after like I mean just like it doesn't even come close to fitting the tone of the movies. Like nope. Like there were certain episodes that kind of had that like bouncy light anime feel where like that you know you, you, it made sense to have Masato saying that in a perky voice at the end of the thing but in this it's basically just like we did it during the show so we're still gonna do it here it's it's even more tonally jarring like in the show they stop it at some point like mm-hmm. we, we made a big deal about it when it was like Masato says please watch this with your loved ones and she didn't say fan yeah, service yeah. And, then the, and then the movie's like hey second impact happened fan service next time she yeah. might as well just fucking like dab on screen and do a Fortnite dance <laughs> Which, uh, God, yeah. I, I'm just now imagining that 4.0 is coming out in a world like <laughs> now, where it's like, oh shit, well, they could they could reference this shit. They won't, but they could. Well, I look, if there is any, if there is any franchise that I think is justified in pulling a Star Wars and having some things happen only in Fortnite, it is Eva. 4.0 should come out only in Fortnite. <laughs> Fortnite.0. Fortnite point oh. I'm calling it now. <laughs> Ugh. I yeah, it's I think Ano's a little bit too much like Miyazaki, where it's like, no, the art of film is sacred and we have to Although that being said, all the Fortnite shit is fucking Christopher Nolan, who is more up his own ass about these the sanctity of film than anybody. So I take I take Look, my bit back. I rescind the bit. <laughs> I don't actually think it would happen, but I wanna be the person who calls it if it does happen. Do you know yeah, what I mean? We're on the record now, Fortnite point oh. Uh, she doesn't read any of the books because she's a mindless robot and it's gross and unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else happens? The Walkman is repaired. Uh, Kawori repairs the Walkman. And at some point, I don't remember the context for this, but my note does say that Shinji learns that he destroyed the world. Which this feels like, you know, like halfway through a movie that maybe that should have occurred to him. Oh, I remember now. Uh, Kawori takes him down that like weird staircase and like shows him the landscape he has to be in like a a wrapped up like hazmat suit hazmat suit and kawaru is just just chilling he's just just hanging out yeah those big shots of the earth post third impact were like all caps like beautiful like oh yeah yeah it was yeah great to look at gorgeous movie the the architecture and the animation and the way it draws they draw and like render buildings in this is just so good. Yeah, I think, like, no joke, like, I'm not even trying to be shitty, but, like, my favorite thing in the whole movie was the design of the, like, ruined nerve with, like, the piano and there would be, like, foliage coming in through the building and, like, the, the one roof tree. destroyed. Like, this, I just, I liked a lot of the setting work in this movie. Like, the, the actual, like, visual depiction of, like, the places they went to. That was, like, probably my, my legitimate favorite thing in the whole movie. No, I, I look, Chris, I'm with you. I'm the defender, but I'm with you. It's the best part. I think it's just 
so good. And I think it is so scary, especially with the first two rebuild movies. Because I think the thing that is like often very scary about Nerve and like that is scary about like I was ta- talking to a friend who is like a huge uh brutalism defender. And I was like, well, I think that like the reason a lot of people are scared about brutalism is that it's just so clear when something is not built for you. Like most architecture, especially like home architecture, like um it's just it's designed to make you never feel like anything is not built for you. Like even like support structures that's main purpose is for the building is still supposed to be like beautiful to humans. And one of the things like really scares people about brutalism is that like you can see like there might be a small bench for you to sit on in the middle of like this giant foyer. And like you can see when things are not meant for you, right? And I think the scariest thing about like not the scariest, because there's lots of scary things about Eva, but like is just like walking through these massive cities where like things are just not built for your scale. Like things are built for like the scale of gods and the scale of Evas. And then like to have spent two movies just like marinating in like architecture that is so foreign to humanity, right? And then to have just come and have that, like even that be destroyed by the size of this cataclysm is just like honestly i think like just such a good move mm-hmm. yeah i i like what you said about like that like being built on the scale of gods and stuff because now that i think about it you can totally feel that even in those scenes where like you're seeing a, a tiny shinji and asuka or whoever on this gigantic escalator you know what i mean like i think that's definitely like that's definitely true and also i uh I'm realizing that I think about it as cool, just like looking as it was and like to imagine as a space that destroyed nerve base also does quite a bit to like show you how different things are because like you're used to nerve being very like, this is the put together facility of the top, whatever. And this is like Mm. a sad hollowed out building with three people in it. Right. Like this former like powerful organization is just like so like broken and empty now. And like, Mm -hmm. you can really feel that. Yeah. And like, I, I think, like, all the stuff with Ray is, super, like, the Ray clone is super gross. But I, I do love that moment where Shinji, like, Shinji, we, the viewer, don't know that her room is just a box on the edge of a canyon. Like, in the middle of, like, a m- machine room that's not meant for humans, right? And, like, he's trying to talk to her like she's normal, And then there's that moment where we cut away and we see how far he must have had to walk to get to, like, this, like, what is it? Like a, like a shipping container that's poised on the edge of a giant drop into, like, an engine, right? And, like, that's where she lives? Like, that's such a disorienting and cool shot, Mm -hmm. right? I think, yeah, I think uh, the stuff we're talking about, like, the scale and how Shinji feels inside of it, I think this movie is... Uh, of the three and i think two is really good at this too but i think three really utilizes the large scale like widescreen theater stuff in a way that like the other movies didn't i think it's something that they figure out for 2.0 i think it's something that makes 1.0 feel a little less like anticlimactic less impactful as a result because i think it takes them like a little bit of a running start to fully utilize the like like just how to frame stuff in widescreen versus um you know 4 by 3 that they were used to like almost all of the key visuals they're basing things off for 1.0 is is you know designed to use a very different space in in uh, 4 3 um and i think 2.0 you know they're they're i think better at like playing with that 
that larger space and doing a lot of new visuals, even if it's based on similar plot beats. And obviously a fucking killer blockbuster. I've raved about it before. Um, but yeah, like this one, I think they're, they're at like continuously getting better at like utilizing their, their 3d animation skills and, um, you know, building such just gigantic sceneries and, and sets. And yeah, it makes, Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a movie about how fucking small Shinji is in the wake of, like, what he has done. Like, this movie is, um, uh, partly about consequences. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it, it's, it's weird that, like, they do that, they make Shinji very small in all these settings, and while they're doing it, they're, like, they're following up this huge, uh, essentially populist blockbuster with a movie that has, like, a very intentional barrier between action and emotion. Yeah. And it's just, like... I, again, like I, I said, like this is the most I've ever had a movie make me feel like I was Shinji, and it sucks. I don't want to feel like Shinji. Yes, I mean, and I think also like just like I love, I love the. I'm usually a little bit. I usually feel a little bit weird about like things that mix 2D animation and 3D animation. So, mm-hmm. but what I loved about the first two movies, uh, the first two rebuild movies, is how much everything had its own texture. Like, how every yeah. every different surface feels like a different surface. And, like, the everything feels like it has a, a texture and a weight to it that is different than everything else. Which I think both adds to making the world feel really real, but also, like, a disorientingly real world. Mm-hmm. And then you're dropped into, like, the first, the first, like, 30 minutes of this movie are just nonstop CGI. <laughs> In, like, a way that yeah. I is so disorienting and so, like, really good, I think. At least in, like, enjoyable, like, you open on those opening shots of, like, we have CGI'd and, like, modeled out this, like, strange-looking spaceship in such detail, right? And then you go into, like, there's that camera shot as he's entering the cockpit of the uh, Masato's machine, like, Masato's ship. And it's just like, okay, we're just gonna move the camera around a CGI object now for, like, the first time. And and it looks like it looks like a like way too realized three D model of something out of fucking Die Buster. The way the cockpit slides up and then all of its surrounding is just see through, which is I guess also I mean it's Gunbuster and Die Buster, but Die Buster flexes a little bit harder like this movie does. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like the way they go up and like that like weird entry plug, but it's like for all how many people are in there six or whatever the fuck. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, yeah, the way that the the visuals kind of, I think, really effectively and thematically pair with the pacing of the story with, like, uh, I, I did all my, my Joe Hawk you talk in the last episode, but that, like, structure of, like, something being similar and then changing and then this third part, it gets, like, uh, even, even more so. It is, like, um, like, breaking, or uh, part two is break and then three is quicken or, or, like, rapidly change. And, like, I think mm-hmm. the fact that this has so much more computer animated graphics and like propels Shinji into the most unknown world he's been in like thematically, emotionally and visually is like uh really compelling to me. Yeah. I mean, I would, I would agree with all of that. Right. The more I'm, the more we talk about this, the more I'm split, the more I'm like, Oh yeah, I do have some problems with like the, the way this movie is constructed, like, like structurally, but like, wow, I will never fucking say a bad word against the animation. In this movie, like just Holy shit. Yeah, I think I think same. Like, I I certainly don't think this movie is perfect. I like it a little bit more than one just because it is like I think doing one. It looks better, and it's just like doing different things that I am more engaged with. 
and Kaworu is there. But like 2.0 is like so much this like perfect, in my opinion, culmination of like the franchise and like the moment that it's in and like the scale that it's on. And this movie is like, cool. All right. That was a foundation for this shit that we're pulling. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, like we're in this situation where we don't, don't really know what the, the full extent of the shit that they're pulling. Like we don't know what the, the fourth movie looks like yet, but yeah, like this movie, even like like on its own, judging it as, as its own movie, is like uh, wholly unsatisfying in what it's trying to like, what it's setting up and how it's paying off within the runtime. And I think it's paced weird, and I just wish it was longer. Yeah, can I get a talking about mech fish- fiction corner here? Absolutely. Yeah, I was just like I was looking back in my notes to see how much of the plot we made it through, but I'm very down for mech fiction corner. Also, well, at some I, point, I think... like I need to let Chris complain. That's okay. I no, don't rest assured. I'll complain. I'll make it happen. Y'all, y'all I'm not got getting me off all this night. until until <laughs> I've got until I've gotten the, the the time on my soapbox. I'm not turning my microphone off. So don't worry. We can we can. Go I was other prepared places. for this. I was like, either this episode's gonna be really short or really long. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was telling my best friend, I'm like, I'm not gonna be reachable while I record, and. She was like, oh, how much time do you think it's going to take? And I'm like, I could not tell you. <laughs> Who could I've set aside all night. <laughs> I set aside all night for this. I will tell you when I'm back. I, I, I really am eager to hear Chris complain. But the thing that I just want to talk about <laughs> for a second is that, like, um... <laughs> what a brand I have that people are excited to hear me complain. Well, well, I, I actually, I love hearing everybody complain because um, I can then complain back. Like, it's just like the... The satisfaction of it. Yeah, well, also, like, Chris, you know, I've been making this show long enough with you where I'm, like... And and also, like, even before we do it, like, I knew you well enough to be, like, well, you know, if Chris is complaining, I'm, like, really interested in their perspective. I think they have a good point of view on, like, uh, cinema and animation, as it were. So, like, you know, Mm -hmm. this thing mostly works for me. I want to know what doesn't work for them. I want to talk about it. And I think if this pod... One, if this podcast was just praising this movie, it would be uh, boring to, like the majority of Ava fans. Um, but also just like, I want to hear as many perspectives on a, a piece of media and as, as possible. And Chris, I know that you're mm-hmm. never like, you know, bad faith, uh, mean spirited about it. Yeah. That is yeah. Cool. That's like why I really enjoy people who can complain without being bad faith. I, I, I try not to use the word complain, but <laughs> yeah. Uh, mech fiction corner, mech fiction corner. All right. So I'm on the record as a mech hater. I, which is startling given, given how the TTRPG space right now is, which in every single person is a mech lover. I've been like, I've really been on the record of saying that like, I, mechs aren't my chosen gender metaphor mm-hmm. and they aren't my chosen body metaphor. And I don't really get it. Like, I don't get why I don't really get the like wanting to have a bigger more powerful body as a metaphor because I think a lot of my like personal internal trans metaphors are more about like coming to terms with the smallness and limitations of my body rather than like building a body that is more and more me like instead like instead of like building a structure on top of myself to express myself better and bigger it's about like learning how to to bring my expectations and thoughts about my of my about my like self and my metaphorical self more in line with like the actual limits of my body and that's not saying that like anybody who finds stuff in like mex finds the metaphor of mex like super powerful is wrong just that like it's not it's not something that's ever particularly resonated with me i think in large part because uh I want my 
body to be the site of power, not the thing that I'm in being is being the site of power. Mm-hmm. But I think for like kind of like watching my review on Letterboxd for like the first and second Eva rebuild movies is like, oh, I think I kind of get mech fiction now, right? Like, I think I kind of get it because like the the journey from the first rebuild movie to the the third one of like the first time we see like near the end of rebuild one 1.0 we get like this moment where Sinji is just struggling so hard to like take a step right and we see like we see the mech become like this like visual touchstone for his relationship to the space he's in and to the like his more animalistic like not animalistic as in like inhuman but like the base struggles with how do you control your body and how do you control your trauma response, right? Mm-hmm. And instead of becoming, like, a metaphor for for a body that is bigger than yours or a, an outsized ability to perform good, like, the, the mech for, becomes sort of a, 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 an outward expression of his, like, struggle to control his own body through a trauma response, which is most which is way more interesting to me and way, way, I think, more evocative of my own experience. So the, then you get to the end of the third movie and they have this fight where all of them are piloting mechs just so coolly. Like Asuka with the fucking glaive. And these these mechs hanging off this, like, what do you, they're, like, being lowered through the, like, to the core of the earth on this, like, metal thing. And to have seen, like, this arc from, like, the first time he has a trauma response in the mech and he can't get through it to, like, something where he is, he has learned coping skills and his ability to, to like, pilot a mech becomes representative of that. I was like, oh, <laughs> this is a mech metaphor that works for me. I love it. It's so, not necessarily powerful, but, like, it's so rewarding to see him in this mech situation right at the end and then things break bad and he starts crawling up Lilin or lilith or whatever the the white corpse yep and it and it goes back to being a struggle for him we see the eva mirror sort of like the way it almost exactly the way it looked for him to pilot it in the beginning of the first movie where he's like barely crawling across the ground and this he's like becomes like barely crawling across the surface of this demon mm-hmm. and i was like oh we've reached a new a new moment like where the the metaphor is returned to that again like how do you maintain control of your body through a trauma response and well, him so, failing again what i find so special about that is and we're you know not to this point in the recap yet but like at yeah. that point <laughs> it is it is codependent because he is stuck in this robot with kaworu in a way that like right uh you know very uh uh pacific rim i think these are probably coming out like around the same time even oh but like yeah like uh, and the fact that like he i am cuts the biggest off. pacific rim lover it's a good movie pacific rim is the reason i'm called ben so <laughs> because i for me pacific rim was like we well, have to pause so let's talk about pacific rim for a second because like for me as like a short fat adhd trans man pacific rim was literally the first time i was ever the hero right like the fact that Charlie Day's character was the hero of that movie, not the only hero. But, like, but vital, like, a part of the ensemble. 
and unironically framed as a hero, mm-hmm. right? Not like like a lot of like fat, not traditionally masculine comedians who end up in action flicks. Like the joke is always, "Oh, can you believe this guy is a hero?" Right? Mm-hmm. And in this, it's like, no, like. Newton Geisler is a fucking jerk, but he is a hero, right? Like, there's no if, and, or but. There's no, like, joke, right? And it's like, oh, I have to name myself after a Charlie Day character, but I could not bring myself to call myself Newt. So here I am as Ben, the Lego, uh, from Lego Movie, still seven years later living with that decision. Um, it's a good name. It's a good name. Uh, and I don't know. I was just like, wow, this is like making me feel like the thing I felt the first time I saw Pacific Rim. Yeah, I, I love how it culminates in that in that final moment, the way they are together, and the way he, like, shuts him off and, and like, controls mm-hmm. it by himself uh, to to varying effects. Um, I like that mechs are so versatile, because a lot of mech fiction is primarily about, like, weapons of war and, like, isn't mm-hmm. war cool, and, like, how war is, like, marketed in that way. And then there's also, like, a lot of body and, like, relationships of people um barriers between people and the self and like i think i think you would really like to when you eventually watch uh you know the show in full because i think it um mm-hmm. just over the amount of time digs into that a lot more especially with asuka there's there's moments where asuka like gets in the robot and cannot get it to move which i think is very effective right. for it as a coping mechanism for her throughout the show but uh what i was going to add on is that my favorite piece of fiction that uses a metaphor as an example of like interacting with like the, ge- the the gender that you may not see yourself in your body is uh, of course the matrix which is the, one of the most trans films ever made yep 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 god the matrix is so good i hope four is good me too i mean the real hot take is that the reason that uh i liked this mech metaphor is because my chosen trans metaphor is werewolves, and this is the closest <laughs> to werewolves mechs have ever been. That this is probably the closest to werewolves mechs have been. You make a great point. Between especially like between all the fucking beast modes in two and three. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Well, that, well like, that's, no the, that's the I thing. Like, like that's the thing. Like the jury always makes this joke where it's like, well, technically, they're, it's not a robot show because they're not robots. <laughs> they're organ. They're organic things with armor put on them. Uh, and that's, that's a great point, jury. Yeah. He is right! <laughs> it's actually a kaiju film, so let's get that right. It, it is. How the fuck did we get here? Uh, okay, I- <laughs> back to the recap. I know exactly where we are. So, Koryu shows Shinji the ruins of Tokyo 3, explaining that uh, Shinji's yes. awakening of Unit 01 is what caused it. He reveals that Gendo plans to force humanity's evolution by triggering a mass extinction, removing uh, mm-hmm. humanity's individuality, and reuniting with his deceased wife, uh so you know same kind of thing as the show yeah they they lay it out in so much like clearer language in this movie which i think i appreciate if 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 not only for this series of events but being able to take that language and look back at other things they've made mm-hmm. and be like okay yeah it's very clear that like gendo is doing this this and this and they said it in this movie but it's still true in the other one <laughs> yeah mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and this is when uh Fuyutsuki invites shinji to play shogi a, a game that I know to be very hard because I've played Yakuza Zero, <laughs> <laughs> and they uh, and Fuski reveals that uh, you know his mom is within Unit O One as the control system, and that Ray is one of several clones of his mother, and the Ray that who rescued him is only the latest clone and not like the the one that he knew. So Shinji's obviously real upset about that. The wiki I'm reading off of just says the next thing that happens is that Kaworu removes Shinji's choker and wears it to gain his trust. 
Yes. Oh, yeah. So this is where Fuyutsuki yeah, Fuyutsuki also says that uh, Ayanami was his mom's maiden name in this telling of events. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Uh, there's some cool visuals in that scene of like the fucking. There are. There's a thing. They're like playing shogi in like the dark, and then they like there's a part in like like the the Ava graveyard looking to thing is like kind yeah. of like coming up behind them in the shot, which is really cool. I also like that scene because. It was interesting seeing Fuyutsuki and Shinji interacting alone. Like I feel like we didn't ever see that really. Yeah, (laughs) and at least and at least for me, you could like feel the history there. Like it was like Fuyutsuki playing a game with the child of two people he knew well. It almost felt like watching certain scenes in like Star Wars. Once you're like, oh, like Obi Wan like knew your dad and like whatever else, and he Mm -hmm. was important to you and whatever else, and you're watching them interact. Like I got that same sense of like you can. It feels like real people that have real like, bonds over time, and, and yeah. you could, like, kind of feel the dynamic at play there, which was and, cool. And, like, too, like, you know, Fuyutsuki just being like, no one's ever gonna tell you this shit. I gotta tell you this shit. Like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. No one tells you anything I know because I'm friends with them. Or at least co-workers. <laughs> well, and it was funny because... And it was funny because someone just told Shinji he's responsible for the end of the world. So, like, we're never going to see that kid again. He's going to go curl up on a ball like a snail and just age. Mm-hmm. You know, like, with the guilt that he carries around. Like. Yeah, for, for as short as this movie is, there is a lot of time spent to just Shinji being alone and depressed in his, like, very tiny room, which just has, like, a bed and his Walkman in it. And a, a, a chute in the wall that gives him clean shirts. And if they're mm-hmm. a little bit too big, he r- looks at them and realizes they have Toji's name on them. Which is like, why would you even hold on to that? Like, why do you have Toji's shirt at Nerve? It's been 14 years! <laughs> I guess I don't know when Toji died, but I would assume it happened pretty close to the fucking third impact happening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It would be interesting if it wasn't that, though, if the reason they had his shirt was because he was, like, on board with, like, this, like, skeleton crew of Nerve and was still doing shit up until the end where, like, Masato's team, like, killed him or something. Could like, have it's been. possible. I like that it, I like, I like that it doesn't tell us like i like that that question yeah. is open for us to 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 you know wonder i mean that seems extremely unlikely i'm pretty sure he just died in the apocalyptic event but it's eh, possible pr- probably all that matters is that shinji is carrying the weight of toji's death uh, yeah uh, for one reason or another as a side effect of something he did right yeah kawori says that tells shinji that like they can bring change with the ava like get- kawori basically says no but this time it'll work like this time getting in it's a good idea and they, and also this time they are together, um, which, you know, Kaworu thinks one thing is going to happen, then that thing doesn't happen. Um, Mark 9, Ava unit Mark 9 is with them, piloted by our current Ray. Uh, and uh, Wily Coyote uh, knows that it's happening. Like They get an alert that an Ava is active, so they're on the move to to come stop this. This is like a big skull graveyard where all this action happens. It's it's cool. And there's like a giant like dead Lilith on the skulls. This is cool. Like Yeah. I have a question. Are these human-sized skulls or like really fucking giant skulls? I'd have to pull it up to actually look. I don't know. They kept on changing sizes for me and I'm like it, it really should they if if you're looking at an Eva foot and an Eva foot is huge, really mm-hmm. the skulls should be so small you can't see them. But like an Eva is stepping on it and they're like three or four skulls beneath the foot. So that means they must be giant skulls. But that doesn't feel right because I think they're implied to be like the skulls of the people of the city. Yeah, it could be a weird perspective thing where like they wanted it to be clear it was skulls. So they just look a little bit bigger than they should. 
or maybe it's a weird fucked up lore thing and everyone has big heads in, in, in this place. I don't know. I don't know. I just wanted to bring it up because I thought it was weird. And I spent a lot of the final scene thinking about the skull perspective. That's rather fair. Than what was actually going on. Yeah, I didn't. But that's fair. I get it. Now that you have brought it to my attention, I will probably think about it on my next watch. Glad to let it stick with you. Thank you for this. So yeah, so they're gonna pilot Unit Thirteen, and uh-huh. they're they're gonna they're planning to use the spears of Cassius and Longinus to undo the third impact. No, there's um, two spears. Yeah, and they're supposed to be a matching set. They're not supposed God to be I- I'm I- identical. Supposed to know what that means, but yeah, yeah. Um, well, you know, like a his and hers spear set for killing angels, <laughs> Mister and Missus. Yeah. It's it's very it's unfortunately in the binary, but you know how these things are. Yeah, yeah. So they get to the body of the alien life form Lilith, like I said, and Kaworu realizes that the spears are not what he expected. Because they're identical. Yeah. <laughs> which which and, when uh, they when they say matching and then they're identical, like my first thought was, oh, is that what they meant? But then Kaworu is like, no, this is wrong. And I'm like, oh, okay, I guess it's wrong. Sorry. Yeah. And then like Kaworu, Asuka, and Mari all try stopping Shinji, but he removes the spears. Yes. Um, yeah. Kaworu just like kind of thinks to himself for a while. Like he stops piloting and just like thinks. And then like, yeah, so Mari and Asuka show up. Mari's like in the rafters with a sniper rifle, which is cool. Uh, Asuka's. Mari is so cool. She's so cool. All right. Now, all right. Now that we're on Mari, I'm going to get this in. Uh, in the wrestling world, in WWE, they occasionally call John Cena Big Match John, and I officially am calling her Big Match Mari because she instantly elevates every scene she's in and makes <laughs> it feel big. She's so yes. cool. Hell like, yes. She's Big Match Mari. If you're going to make a special character for your movies, like it should feel as special as she does. Like she, Every scene is like, I'm the cool new character. And it's like, yeah, you are. Big match Mari. Anyway. Big match Mari. Well, big match Mari's up in the rafters with her sniper rifle. Asuka's mm-hmm. down on the ground trying to stop Shinji, but uh, Ray, this this Ray is is in the Mark Nine unit thing that's trying to stop Asuka. Their fight looks cool. I don't remember any like specific things about it, but yeah, eventually Shinji does get those two spears, and Kaworu knows something is wrong, but like it's also like there's a moment where he says that he figures it out. But he doesn't say anything. He doesn't say what he has figured out. Mm-hmm. Like, he's like, oh, I see their plan now. And then he just doesn't say it. And things continue to happen. And, yeah, so Unit 13 activates, which I think is, like, the awakening thing we kind of saw in, in 2.0. Uh, is like, oh, somehow I am Angel 1 and also 13. I don't know what that means. Uh, and then Angel... So... The thing that they were on that looks like Lilith, after they pull the spears out, it turns into something else, which they say is Angel 12, number 12, and it, like, it clashing with uh, Ava Unit 13, and I guess Kaworu being here and also being two angels at once, I don't know. The fourth impact happens! That's what matters. <laughs> all of this bullshit leads to the fourth impact happening, which is described as the next step of the third impact. The continuation of the third impact, the fourth impact. Yeah. And as it's like, uh, so Ava unit is like, 13 is like rising out of this area. It, I think it used to be Central Dogma is the way it looks, but it's like rising up. And as it's doing that, the the wonder like comes in and just fucking rams it. And I think that's cool. And then like, yeah, there's a bunch of action shit that happens. Asuka fights Rey 
And I don't remember what she says to Ray that makes her just eject. But she says something, and then mm-hmm. Ray's response to it is to eject from her unit. Mm-hmm. Which I remember finding funny, but I don't remember what she said. Like, it's something like, make your, like, something along the lines of, like, making your own decision or something. And, yeah, so she jumps out of that. Uh, Asuka, like, sacrifices her unit in self-destruct to destroy Mark Nine and also ejects. Uh, she goes into, like, that beast mode. Like, her unit's on, like, all fucking fours at one point. And Kawaru wants to stop this from happening. The gates of Guff are opening, by the way. I don't know if we talked about the gates of Guff. Yeah, so the gates of Guff apparently opened at the end of 2, and now they're opening again. Yeah, but now they have a name. Um, And it's just the big fucking red halo black hole shit uh, that happens with the the impacts. Um, Mm -hmm. But I do like that they call it the gates of Guff. Like, it didn't need a name. Like, they didn't have to give it a name or, like, a, any sort of lore importance because it looked cool enough. But it is just very funny that they started calling it the Gates of Guff. And I support that decision. Uh, anyways, Kawaru wants to stop it. So he takes control of the Ava and, like, stabs it with one of the, I think, one of the lances. And then mm-hmm. at some point, I don't even remember what triggers it, but the collar blows up. Yeah, F. I think I think Kawaru triggers it himself. I think that's what's implied. Like, yeah, I yeah, because I, I think it's also like in response to the Ava activating and like getting this far. But also, if that was true, it should have happened a long time ago. So I don't couldn't tell you. But I don't understand any of it. I feel like I feel like were you hoping that I would explain things to you? Yeah, one of my notes was like, "Why does Kawaru die? I don't understand. What's a door of guff?" And the answer is just like <laughs> nobody fucking knows. Like, uh, Kawaru dies because um, they think he's like they think he's activating the Eva to turn into an angel to open the doors of guff. I think, but it turns out it's both him and Shinji. Yeah, well, so the thing is that like death doesn't really do anything. Kawaru allows it to kill him. Like he could have stopped it, but he knows that his own death will stop this process from happening. Is is like it for whatever like the lore reasons or like the mechanics of it. That's like my understanding of the series of events is that Kawaru allows himself to die because it will stop this impact from getting any worse. Cool. Sure. Wish I had any indication of that so I could be emotionally involved in the story. But you know, well, that's that, that's the thing. Like Kawaru seems to know what's going on and just not express it until like he's like, oh, this is what I have to do to stop this, and then he does it, and it's sad i guess to to see him you know die it's it's sad to like um it's it's more sad to imagine what shinji's feeling than what i feel which is i think yeah. a shortcoming of the film <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. uh shinji's very very upset to see this person uh explode well yeah he, he he like goes fucking scanners and his head blows up right next to him and like you know it's fucked yeah it's, it's 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 brutal yeah um, I, I think something about this movie that's like, it, as much as everything is changed from the original telling of events, like, certain things are, are still repeating, like, within the cycle of like, yeah, his, like, his relationship with, with Kaworu is still like, less, like, there's a lot of personal high points that come with him becoming close with Kaworu, uh, but for the most part, it's still like a machination of Nerve and, and Sele and the powers that be, and it is still, like, manipulated to get Shinji uh, further into Gendo's plot, and he still dies trying to protect Shinji. And it's, like, much crueler this time than it was the first time. Although, it is, like, different that, like, you know, in, in 24, Shinji kind of has to do it himself. Yeah. Uh, and, and this time, Kaori's like, I have to do this, 
uh, to 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 make the world not get worse than it already is. Goodbye. And he does. And it's very quick and I think could have used like a little bit more time or exposition or something. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't get that. That's kind of the same on the rewatch, but uh, it happens. And uh, he's really struggling with that after it happens. And Mari says to grow up, <laughs> which is uh, harsh. But she's like, this is this is I think where the 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 one shot that I would consider fan service happened, where she's like running and the camera angles like very, uh, conveniently placed in her cockpit at an angle where she's looking up. Uh, but she like is going to catch the Ava Unit Thirteen as it's now falling. Start talking about the gates of Guff, but unsurprisingly, as you know, the gates are closing and uh the carnage is seemingly ending. We cut to Gando, who's like, this is fine, actually. I'm not owned. <laughs> Be- because now Kawaru's gone and the unit has been activated. So, like, his plot is, I guess, still, like, is still a net positive, I guess, for him. Also kind of vague. Uh, maybe Forapono will explain it. Also, maybe not. Because this movie doesn't try to explain a lot of things. But yeah, those, those two things he considers a win. And uh, the ending of this movie which I think on its own, I, I like a lot. Uh, Oscar res- rescuing Shinji from this plug, the, the plug that he was in, dragging him out. Mm-hmm. And uh, also this Ray is now here. Os- Asuka is basically in control now where it's like, we can't stay here uh, because there's like too much fucking, I don't know, guff radiation for, for uh, Willy to, to land and save them. So they have to walk somewhere where they can. And Ray is like, you know, this this ray is like so much farther back in, in the emotional progress of becoming a human that we were used to in 2.0. Uh, but she's mm-hmm. like, I guess I'll go with them. Like, I guess I'm going to keep following you people because I, I don't really know what I'm feeling or what I'm experiencing right now. Uh, but she goes, Shinji's being dragged. He drops the Wakaman, which seemingly is left behind. It's kind of, it's not like we see shots of them leaving it. We just see it dropped. And then we kind of cut to them further along. So I, I really don't know if they're implying that it's left behind or if Ray grabbed it or something. It probably will be answered in uh, Avengers uh, Endgame. But that's the end of the movie. It's them walking off into the sunset, which I think for all of the bullshit that it's following up, I think I really like the ending as like an, just an evocative, like, what the fuck happens now moment. Mm-hmm. But I can imagine it being very hard to engage with uh, following the... Very confusing and maybe foundation missing uh, from the the action set piece that happens in the third act of this movie. Yeah. But that's it. I, uh, there, I guess, actually, there was one thing I have written down that I'll talk about, which is, um, for all of these movies I own physically, I've been watching the bonus materials on the second disc, or in the case of the Blu-ray, on the same disc. And there's a lot of, like making of progress videos of like how the CG got from like sketches to early rough models to, to the finished models. Um, in a lot of cases there are multiple takes where they tried it with like, you know, Oh, the, the robot jumped this way. And we, we did, we did like four separate renders of different ways. The robot articulated itself. Uh, we went with this one. Um, I don't remember if I brought this up on the previous episodes, but, uh, that's all, that's all stuff's very cool. And what I really liked about this one is that it, it showed off like, all of the piano stuff they just actually filmed two people doing and then animated it, um, which is very cool. Like there's just like they had two pianists do all the handwork for that that they copied. 
Um, and there's something else that was like, oh, the Shogi shot. The Shogi, like, all of them uh, falling apart while Shinji pulled it off. That was uh, reanimated from just a live-action reference. And the one other note that I thought was really cool is on an earlier draft of, like, sketches of the Gates of Guff is that they originally had a bunch of tiny ray heads, much like something out of End of Evangelion. I thought that was interesting that they considered that and didn't go with it. Like, I'm curious what that means, or if it's just like, this imagery is cool, uh, but it doesn't really fit. I don't know. But I thought I'd point it out, because uh, it's neat, and I don't think anyone else here is watching it on Blu-ray. No. Um, That's really cool. That's interesting. I just, like, I think in order to figure out, like, why they would or wouldn't have gone with it or what that would mean, you know, I think we'd have to know more about, the these gates of guff. Well, yeah, I, it's, it's, um, it's like... When the fucking instrumentality impact shit happens in Evangelion, it's all centered around Ray's body and, and Yue's body. Um, so, like, a lot of the, like, yeah, all these, you know, n- giant naked bodies have the same face, and it's, like, weir- weirdly sexual. And it's, like, it, we, watching that movie, you know that it is rooted in Ray and, and Yue and, like, all of that stuff as she, like, merges with Lilith. Um, so, like, her face being on everything, as weird and creepy as it is, it tracks, like, logically. Or, like, I can I can connect enough dots to, to not be weirded out by that aspect of the visuals. Whereas, I don't think that's true of any of the impacts in this movie. Like, even, even when Rei is merging with Shinji in 2, like, for her face to suddenly show up on the impact gate now, I think would be, like... I, w- I would be interested. I like I, my my ears would perk up. People like, oh shit, this is happening. What does this exactly mean? And it would not have been answered in this film if that happened. So um, I I I don't I don't know if I would say I, I prefer it with or without. I just think it's very interesting that there was an earlier take that included it. Yeah, yeah. And it's always nice to see live action reference stuff for animation too. So that's yeah, it's cool. I I really I watched the whole films. So I was still there, and yet as soon as you said. Ray heads. I was like, why is Ray from Star Wars here? <laughs> I I full on had to like live in that for like twenty seconds before I realized, oh yes. Is okay. there an edit of at the end of Rise of Skywalker he's saying Ayanami instead of Skywalker? Because that's <laughs> fucking funny. Yeah. It, it's I'm, probably I'm, out there. It's I'm sure. Because I know there's like like the, the one thing where it's like hello Ray from Star Wars, hello Ray from Evangelion, and it's the line of all of them lined up together. <laughs> Um, anyways, that's essentially the story based on my notes. I don't know if like, if we, we've gotten in a lot of, uh, in-depth conversations about bits and pieces of it. Chris, I'm sure you have a ton to say, but yeah, like who, who, who has something that they want to dive into? So like the note that I took 20 minutes in is like pretty indicative of my feelings on the whole thing. So I was over 20 minutes in and I wrote, it's like, I'm really not into this. Like, and, okay. and, and what I wrote was that. It feels like the exact same problem as I had with Gunbuster, Diebuster, and uh, the later stuff of, like, Gurren Lagann, uh, where the some of the audio and visual stuff is really cool, obviously, but it means nothing to me. So I, when I was in the University of Iowa film program, I took my favorite class of my whole, like, college run, which was this uh, course called Action Body Melodrama, and it was, like, you know, analyzing the, the storytelling mode of melodrama in the um context of like action movies and and anime and all kinds of stuff like that Mm -hmm. and we talked about how part of what makes like hong kong action cinema 
so like, engaging is that there's uh, a term that the class was kind of using, uh, like kinetic legibility, which is like that you can like clearly tell what's happening. They shoot it and edit it in a way, and the performers are using crisp motion, so you can see like there's a kick there, there's a block here, he punches in the stomach here, and like you can like you you can like physically tell what's happening. Whereas like in American cinema, it tends to be more like they want to emphasize the realism of like the the hurriedness, so that it's like a shaky camera and like things are moving really fast, and you can't really tell what's happening. They're like two different approaches. Like neither one is like better than the other, but like it you know comes out of your personal taste. I much prefer to have that kinetic legibility. And then also we we talked about a term from um, like the the gaming world, which is like the definition of the situation, which is the kind of just like, you know, understanding the rules of what's happening and what's going on. And then that allows you to kind of participate in what's happening, whether you're like game planning or analyzing someone else's moves or whatever else. Like, and so without either of those two things, the kinetic legibility or understanding the rules of the scenario, I couldn't grab onto any of it other than, well, I guess it looks cool. And I felt that way for most of the entire movie. I liked the new weird status quo of the world, but I wish they had given me more to latch onto, whether it was character stuff or plot stuff, because both fell very flat to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I agree. <laughs> I mean, it's like, it's like, like the the. I think the thing that is so remarkable about this movie is that I am still like I want to be like, well, yeah, I loved it. I loved that part of it. I loved how out to sea I felt. But everything mm-hmm. you're saying about it not having kinetic legibility, I'm like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> like, about it not defining the situation, about it not really having a plot. Yeah, correct. Like, there's, like, I think, like, one of the things is that I just, I, I kind of decided, and I think this might be, a, like, this is, like, a, a me thing and not, like, I sometimes feel like when I'm like, well, I liked it because I approached it as this, it comes off as like well you should have approached it as this and i really don't mean that I, but i'm like some of my favorite pieces of art are fan fiction for things that i have no idea what the actual lore is like my my first like exposure to metal gear was this like a really stunningly amazing fan comic called uh yellow cake which is about like building a really deeply metaphored and intertextual sort of like look at the sort of role of Solid Snake as a as an atlas, like as somebody who who holds the world up, and the like mythic nature of both of the snakes, and watching this film kind of felt like watching a piece of fan like a really good fan fiction for something that I've never consumed, right? Of like. Oh, there's metaphor and there's text. There's textual relationships here, and they're they're exploring relationships between images. But I don't know where the images are from, right? Like, and I I just sat I just sat there and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna like just let it build like a textual web around me, and I will believe that it means something, right? And I I think that that maybe like if we're if we are actually talking about like creating a film that is like can stand on its own and stuff probably not a great thing for the film to be but for me like it just i was just predisposed to like accept that that was going to be the status quo of this mm-hmm. which like makes sense and and i i, I we've, we've had this, like a similar conversation about this show a few times because obviously like they 
they tend to like to dip it in this direction where like we're not telling you anything have fun like and it's like i'm not saying like you have to make art that i can easily whatever it's like no that's yeah. fine i'm happy that they made it the way they wanted to and i do still get some things out of this and like i think i feel like i sound like i'm saying i need everything explained to me which is not at all the case i just no, like i don't think you are. i, I, I don't need think so like either. some i need some of it explained to me and i need a certain key thing explained to me so for example in the in the context of the action scene i was describing even I, I kind of need one or the other if I'd like to have both. But if I don't understand what people's goals are or what's going to happen if they do or don't achieve them, then at least let me be able to physically tell what's happening on screen. And so if it's just like it's just like things bumping into each other too close to tell, oh, is that the edge of a ship? Is that an Ava? Is that an angel? Like then I don't have anything because mm. I can't tell what's what I'm looking at and I don't know what's going to happen if X, Y and Z occurs. So like. And same for, like, the emotional stuff is, like, you know, I don't need to know exactly how, you know, Kawori fits into this as the the, the made-up, like, oh, I'm the X, Y, and Z angel or whatever. But, like, I don't know. You just kind of want to understand a little bit more so that you can yeah. – I, I, I so, so, so you. For me, I, I wanted to be able to, like, hook into this more, and the movie, like, kind of, like, didn't want me to, which is, you know, that's – fine but I, I i will say that in moments where i could tell they wanted me to feel emotion because they hadn't grabbed me with the rest of it and at times actively put me off all the stuff with like shinji reacting to the ray news felt overwrought it was like the incredibly over-the-top dramatic music him yelling and throwing the cassette player instead of feeling like the depths of that like sad scene i was just kind of like this feels hokey to me because like it just hadn't earned my like you know it, it didn't like i wasn't mm -hmm. in it hadn't got my buy-in. And so, like, when it was trying to pull that, I was just like, I don't I don't feel it. Yeah, the first act of this movie is so built upon uh, confusion. And uh, I, I think, you know, something that, like, one, one of the few things I have carried with me uh, from college uh, of, of my own, which I didn't go to school for film, but still, like, one of, one of the few things I took from, like, uh, a creative writing course was, like, a reader, or, or in this case, a viewer, can engage with, like, mystery, but not confusion. And I think that's yeah. where this movie kind of makes some missteps uh, where it's like, yep. it's like, yeah, Shinji is like making Shinji confused doesn't immediately translate into a mystery I'm trying to solve. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just like very tiny missteps because like on the rewatch, knowing what's, you know, in the movie uh, on my second time through, I found a lot easier time like um, following following what was happening just based on like knowing the limits where I'm like, well, I know this doesn't nerve. I, I can try and follow shinji's line of thinking and get into like where he's at which like even still I, I don't think the the emotional scene about where he's like screaming about ray is necessarily something i feel um but my takeaway from that is that this movie has like a very intentional barrier between the the emotional text of the of the characters and the audience in a way that the show did but the two movies this is a sequel to didn't like the blockbusters of of 1.0 and and more effectively 2.0 have very tangible pathos where like I am cheering for Shinji when he does the thing and I never cheer at all watching the television show I am watching it like these characters are fucked up and I am thinking about their their what they're going through mm -hmm. this movie is more like the show in that way which I think is fascinating on its own but particularly a bizarre decision when it is so it is trying to play in the space of these films as like a large scale uh, visual spectacle blockbuster, but written like it it was written like Anno would have written it in fucking 96. And that is yeah fascinating. Like it, it 
it happens to land for me, but like I kind of reserve the right to think it sucks if it doesn't pay off in four. Like it's it's very much like you know like oh Infinity War was cool to watch, but I don't know if it's gonna, like if those plot threads are going to be effectively uh, paid off. Like if they're going to actually deal with that, or if it's gonna be another three hour action slog against someone they've already lost to. Um, and I I keep referring to that because I think it's um a text that probably a lot of people can uh know what I'm talking about. <laughs> uh but there's there's yeah. plenty of other uh you know cliffhanger sequels, even like um the very bizarre decision to end uh the the second Matrix movie where it does is like wholly unsatisfying if I did not like three. Mm-hmm. And I, I happen to like three. A lot of people don't like two or three. Um, but I like those movies uh a lot. But but all that being said, like yeah, I I I did not have what you are describing with the issue with like um understanding the action. Uh, I I had a again like maybe this because it was my second watch and I like knew what I was following and the basic plot beats that I was like, oh yeah, I'm looking forward to I'm looking forward to seeing them have the big fight down in what I think is central dogma. And for the and for the most part, I'm very good with like me watching this movie i'm like i can tell there are rules i can tell these characters care about them i do not need to know what they are which is my exact experience watching the show evangelion where i'm like i don't need to know what any of these fucking words mean it matters to them they're following rules there are consequences and i like uh, as i've said a million times on this podcast the actual like nitty-gritty of the lore i don't fucking care the emotional beats are landing for me and i think this movie isn't as effective at that because the emotional beats feel intentionally distanced Mm -hmm. like that that the stuff with kawaru dying tragically is like i don't feel it but i'm thinking about how shinji must feel which is right more like which i I think episode 24 of the show is is actually really effective at getting me to care about kawaru in a way that this movie i think could do if i were not so confused like this this movie i'm like but how's kawaru's thinking things and not telling them I'm thinking about how Kawaru plays into the original show. I'm thinking about what he did at the end of 2.0. It's just a lot of, like, I'm happy with something making me ask questions. It's just that can be a barrier into the investment of, like, it happening yeah. on screen. And I think this movie does, like, like it, it must, apparently, fit for the reaction I had to it, I feel like it does more of the, like, just saying words than the show did which the show definitely did that but like because like half my notes are like like who is Celia's child what is Lillian I feel like I need a fucking glossary what does it mean to be the first and the 13th angel what they just like they're just saying shit and it just like like, you have like no life raft and so eventually I just Mm -hmm. got frustrated and gave up it is frustrating oh I don't know what that I don't know what in the show I feel like it was like oh I don't know what that means but like I'm cool with that. Whereas the movie was frustrating me. So I feel like they were just like throwing out more and more terms and yeah. explaining none of them. Like, yeah. And I, and I, you know, again, like I, it's like, I don't disagree. It's fine with me, but <laughs> I don't like, I, I completely understand what you're saying. And I think there's a lot of things that could play into it being a more frustrating experience. I think it being a sequel to something that is the opposite of that is, is telling, I think this visual language of the blockbuster does not marry as well with those rules uh, as w- as mm-hmm. the old visual style did. Although I've seen plenty of blockbusters with rules I didn't fucking care about and enjoyed them. Um, I was trying to think of an example and I can't, but um, I, I, I know I have had that experience where it's like, oh yeah, they're saying a bunch of shit. I don't need to know this, but it's happening. I, I've probably felt that way watching one of the Matrix sequels, honestly. Um, or I feel that 
Or I was just gonna say, or another Wachowski movie. I feel that way, um, I felt that way watching Lucy. Yeah, Lucy has, like, fucking, you, you have to just be flexible with all the fucking rules of that movie. Which is, like, I really enjoyed Lucy. Like, I sat in the, like, I sat in that fil- that theater for, like, whatever, the two-hour, ten-minute running time. Mm-hmm. It was like, wow, pictures. Yeah, it's the thing. Pictures it's like, cool. I, I had so many friends at the time being like, this movie's stupid because that's not how brains work. And I'm like, it's fiction! What the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> I'm like, Lucy, weird black, turn into weird black computer. Love that. Thank yeah. you. Also, which is embarrassing story. I went to see Lucy thinking that it was going to be under the skin because I had confused the two different Scarlett Johansson <laughs> movies that were coming out around the same time. That's funny. So I was like, oh, yeah, Scarlett Johansson, that must be it. And then I was like, well, that didn't have any of the stuff I saw in the trailers that looked cool. Right. I think here's here's I think that the, the MCU comparison really rings true for me. Uh, and also the same thing you said, Joe, about like having the right to take your praise of this movie back if it doesn't pay off in four. Mm-hmm. Asterisk, asterisk, asterisk all over this episode. Right. Because like, that's the thing I, that's the thing I feel about like, like I feel like I am just post Winter Soldier, right? Winter Soldier is undoubtedly a stronger, like explanatory movie than this is. But like, I hate, I hate Winter Soldier in retrospect because it's, it's just going to lead to, it seems like, it, the, the, it's it's the issue with comics where like comics structurally are all about the illusion of growth because if a character actually grows exactly. you can't release another comic like it's it's something that um like my favorite mcu movie is iron man 3 and uh it has such a good finality to it it's a very good standalone film and it is then <laughs> undercut by the fact that iron man is in fucking seven other movies like they have to come up right. with another storyline for him that uh, like it's it's very hard to make a good standalone film with like its own arc that comes to like a resolution and yeah. growth, and then well, how do we return to it? Like this character has like you know a, a fucking seven right. picture deal. Um, and and Winter Winter <laughs> Soldier is like definitely one where it's like all right, fucking we're throwing everything out, and then it doesn't actually matter in the in the in the grand right, scheme like, of things. I, I feel like I feel like that's the thing that like that's why this this like. Well, one, I'm going to have a controversial, controversial MCU take just so that I just said, I want everybody to I just said, Iron, I just said Iron Man 3 is my favorite. We're already good. I'm going to say Ant-Man and Wasp is my favorite. It's good. It's good. But the point is, the point is, that, like, the thing is, like, I eventually I was like, I have got to stop seeing MCU because I'm tired of seeing people learn nothing. Yeah. And I think that the thing is, like, we don't see Shinji or the characters learn anything in all of 3.0. No. And I think that that's... And I think that that's fine if we go into four and they learn something, right? Not necessarily yeah. learn lore, because I, 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 who cares? I <laughs> don't have any hope of like getting explodes. But like, if we go into four and it's like, okay, we had to put them through like the bleakness and the trauma of three, and then like now that they have walked into the sunset, they've had a few more moments to like establish it that like Shinji can talk to Asuka and talk to like talk to Mir. Uh, whatever her name is, and talk to, like, and talk about it, and then, like, and four, they learn something, I will have bought it, right? But if they if they get to the end of four and nobody's learned jack shit, mm-hmm. then it's, like, gonna take that card right back, thank yeah. you. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's really hard to say, like, this, this is, I think... It, it was hard to talk about 1.0 as a standalone film because it is the beginning of a of a quadrilogy and it's based on a show that we've seen before and it is so heavily just the show again. 
with very tiny changes. Like, and then 2.0 is like, yeah, good movie. Fucking tins all around. And then this movie is like, it's impossible to talk about it on its own because it's fucking like four dimensional chess with how it's talking about the original show and how it's a sequel to the last movie. And we don't know where it's going yet. We haven't for eight years. It's, uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's ridiculous, uh, position to, to, to be in. And it's, I, I'm torn because I'm like, well, you know, I trust Anno. It's a good filmmaker, in my opinion. I, you know, some of my favorite, like, Ritual is more and more my, my favorite film the more I think about it. And, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's like, well, you know, four is the last one. Like, there, there isn't, it isn't, you know, the MCU trucking on forever. And it, it's, it's not, you know, it, it's not a franchise that's doing that with, with its film, even if it might have merchandise forever. Right. But, also, I've seen the end of Evangelion. I don't know if 4 is going to be necessarily, like... I, I will be satisfied to have seen the last one and be like, this is the story. I can now fully assess the story. But there's a very good chance that it is, like, an intentionally unsatisfying ending. Or, like, it is intentionally vague. Or, like, a like literally anything could happen in that film when it releases. And I don't... I, I like, I think... It being traditional would be the most unsatisfying thing. Like, it's, like, kind of to call back to Homestuck, which is, it seems like a lot of people are like, oh, and then it just happened. And then it was like, oh, I waited so long for it to just happen and be ordinary. Which, you know, uh, uh, Return of the Jedi kind of has that. It's, it's kind of the weakest of the, of its trilogy, but it, cause it wraps everything up and it's like, that's kind of the least fun, uh, Mm -hmm. like wrapping things Mm -hmm. up is, is oftentimes harder to do and just a little, like people aren't as good as keeping it engaging. You know, Rise of Skywalker is a huge mess that we won't litigate on this podcast. But uh, even reading like Colin Trevorrow's script, it's like, yeah, it probably would have been the least engaging, but it was like sufficient. We we can't litigate it on this podcast because I saw the discourse and said, no, thank you and have not seen it. <laughs> That's fine. You're in a good place to be in. Um, all that being said, yeah, it's a very, uh, very strange position to like try and talk about this movie as a standalone thing. And I think I think you're yeah, you're like. There is not a significant arc. Like, it is not a very strong screenplay because it is such a cog in a machine that we have not seen in totality. Mm-hmm. I, I want to uh, touch on something I said a minute ago. Just one last thing on that subject. And then I have, like, two more criticisms and then, like, at least a few positives. So, like, not just, like, Hell yeah. berate the movie. Um, but one last thing on the whole, like, kind of, confusion or like not knowing what's going on not feeling able to like access you know not feeling it's accessible to me is like um that is like i mean i would have enjoyed the action set piece in the beginning more if i had had some of the things i talked about but that's at least like i exactly understand what they're trying to do is like they want us to feel like we talked about they want us to feel out of place and confused like shinji is so it's like, it's like okay i can live with that one the problem is that i want to when the movie is like winding down i want to know what we're doing in that third act and I, like, could not have told you that looking at this wiki what anyone's goals were. Yeah. I just knew they were, like, fighting over something and something was going to happen. But I didn't know who was trying to cause it, who was trying to stop it, what the thing was going to be, what it was going to do. Like, I, I didn't know any of that. I was, like, I'm just watching things happen mm-hmm. with characters that I know. And so that's a difference to me is, like, like you said, like that, that mystery versus confusion. The opening set piece, while I still would have maybe tweaked it to be a little bit more um, my style, that's at least, like, that's purely in the camp of mystery. And like at the end, I was just confused. Well, yeah, I think I think uh, it goes on a little long for it to like stay 
a mystery yes. and engaging. Yes. And, like, yeah, the, the yeah, final yeah. action set piece, it's, like, there's very little hold on to. You're, like, okay, so Shinji is trying to do a good thing in the robot with Kaworu. He's told to grab the two lances. Kaworu realizes that's bad, but Shinji's doing it anyway. What is that going to do? Oh, Asuka and Mari are here to stop them because they don't want the third impact going to happen. So presumably that's going to happen. And then, like, a bunch of shit happens visually. Some angels merge. I think Kaworu says too much so that we just get confused because what he's saying doesn't actually change what we're watching. Like, it's, it's information we don't need. <laughs> like, it, it, as much as we don't understand what the fuck is happening in this movie, we are still given too much information. Yeah, after they go outside, I couldn't fucking tell you. Like, the, the third impact yeah. is, like, happening, people are fighting, and eventually Korra is like, I think the movie should be over, and it's over. <laughs> yeah, um, and I also, to be totally fair, it might be that, like, by the time that had rolled around, I was still, like, beaten into submission by the movie that I was just, like, whatever. And, like, maybe if, like, I had enjoyed it more up to that point then i'd be more receptive to like oh well they did say that they did explain you know whatever but to me i just like watching it and taking it in i didn't feel like they properly prepped me for that like that whole thing at the end yeah it's it's mm -hmm. a weird screenplay it's weirdly directed like the the last act action set piece feels like something that would belong in one of the other two movies the way it's like the, the scale of it and and the action of it but the rest of this movie isn't that like it, it gets very you know, quiet and small in a way that, like, you know, you're, you you get real you, whether you are engaging with it or just confused by it, you get very stuck in that space. And then it's like, eh, we're going back to the big scale. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, now I'm trying to place this with, you know, the, the language I had been listening to the last hour of this movie. And they, they don't. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's not, you know, very congruent or cohesive. Like, again, like, I, on my second watch, I was kind of on board because I knew what I was in for. I was able to kind right. of like be like, okay, yeah, now this is happening. This is happening. And I, I, again, like going into it thinking like this movie was meant to come out with a second pair. It's not out yet. I'm not going to yeah. try and see it as like everything. Um, and uh, I was able to let a lot of that uh, stuff bounce off of me where it's like, well, these characters seem like yeah. they know what they're doing. I'm just going to watch what happens. And I had a pretty good time doing it. <laughs> I would hazard that my first viewing experience of 3.0 where I could barely see the screen, couldn't read the subtitles, was just engulfed in image after image, having no idea what the fuck I was watching is actually the perfect viewing experience of 3.0. It might be. It might be. <laughs> it might be. I mean, at least then you don't even know what you don't know. I feel like I was in a position to know what I didn't know, and that frustrated me. If I was like, if I was completely lost and just looking at things on a screen, that might have been better. Which, which, yeah, I, I think it's trying to play with Shinji's position with that and be like so forcefully confusing. Which, uh, you know, as as a someone who has spent a lot of time talking about Kingdom Hearts, it's not always satisfying. Like, it can be fun. It can, it can be engaging, but it's like it's 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 hard to fuck up that that uh playing that role. And I think um you know I had an okay time watching this movie, knowing it was gonna do that. But I kind of didn't prep you for anything, Chris, because I was like I would just I just want to know how it plays to you as a sequel to two. Yeah, and I'm glad that you did that. I want I came into it like ready to love it, and then that didn't happen, which is okay. Which is what I mean. Like most people had that experience. Yeah, mm -hmm. it is kind of a bummer. Not to I really don't want to linger on this any longer than we have because I feel like we talked about it a lot. But like I one other thing, it is kind of a bummer though. Because if you were to pitch me on paper, like, the end of this movie is going to be, like, like Shinji, Rei, and Kaworu versus 
Asuka and Mari and shit. I'd be like, oh, damn, like, what's happening there? Like, and that's going to be cool. I kind of wish it was on this, like, it didn't leave with a small scale. Like, I wish another impact didn't happen, because if you're going to do another impact, Mm -hmm. like two, it should probably have the, like, and here's the thing. We don't know if it's going to have consequences like it did in two. Like, we, we just, we can't know that yet. But, like, after having an impact in two be a really fucking big deal... And, like, stopping it being, like, what the fuck does this mean? And then this movie is all about the consequences of it. Um, or at least, like, the consequences of it make up the entire setting. And it's kind of, in broad strokes, about consequences. To just do it again <laughs> feels a little like, okay, well, it happened again, and then it stopped again. Like, again, like, I don't know what that, like, is setting up for. Um, I, I can't know if for it is For four, they're it. going back in time. For four, they're going back to, like, medieval times, and they're gonna, like... God. <laughs> Evil versus dinosaurs, please and thank mm-hmm. you. Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah, yeah who, um, who who could say? Okay, I have a small criticism, and then one that I feel like I'm gonna get... Like, people are gonna disagree with me on it, but I'm prepared to stand up for, for it. Um, I'm here all night. The small one... The small one is that I feel like Asuka and Mari don't feel different enough for 14 years to have passed. Like, uh, we already talked about the visual and, like, how it's, like, you know, we're, like, not let them age. But I just mean, like, a person has experiences over 14 years. And, like, they seem just, like, I don't know. I thought I literally thought, I was, like, am I being fair? And then I thought, like, what was I, like, 14 years ago? And I was, like, yup, I was very different. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Well, you didn't uh, live so through that was, this like, apocalypse. Minor, <laughs> I know. I know. I just, you know. That, that's, that's my, like, I agree with you. That's my only tiny caveat where I'm, like, also, like, yeah, Asuka's yeah. has so much rage that I'm, like, it it feels ever so slightly distinct, but also I think this movie suffers from being like not having as much of them. Like the show, because it's a twenty six episode show, it spends more time with more characters, and even End of Evangelion, I think that is a strength to it as a film that Asuka is such a main character. Whereas uh, these movies are about Shinji, <laughs> and everyone else is supporting. And this movie is like, hey, you, y'all know them already. They don't have to be as prevalent in this movie to show up as antagonists for Shinji. And I'm like, I kind of wish they did show up a little bit more, though. Like, I wish we had, like, yeah. one scene, like, while Shinji's going through all his shit in the second act, cut back to Wele, like, once. Let me see a conversation between Asuka and Mari about, like, what is happening and what this means to them. Like... I'd like it to be good like I don't want it to just be expository but like I would like to learn a little bit more about them yeah I think we're I think they this movie suffers from the fact that we never see we never really we only see Asuka out of the um out of the plug suit and out of the plug once and then we don't really see Mari of the I don't even know if we see her out of the plug suit like I think she puts a jacket and a hat on top of her suit yeah, that's that's what I was trying to say. We we only ever see her out of the plug once, and only and never see her out of the plug suit, mm-hmm. and we never see Mari out of the plug or the plug suit. And I think that like, especially if you look the same and your body is being frozen in time, that like the way you dress yourself and the way that you, and like the way that you carry yourself, has to do a lot of the heavy lifting. And the fact that we we only see them in locations where they are forced to look like the exact same thing that they've always looked like mm-hmm. is like really to this movie's detriment. Now, obviously like some of that is thematic. Like some of that is like, Oh, well, as long as they are piloting the Evas, they have to look exactly the same. Which and they, I, like, I, I get that. This is like a weird, like, you know, post impact world where like probably normal clothes aren't 
safe unless you're Kaworu. But like, right? Even like, I do think her hat and jacket do kind of sh- like show me a right. little bit of her personality. But like, Mari is not a character <laughs> very like like I love her. I'm very happy when she's on screen. I love what personality we do see of her, but she is barely a character. Yeah, I'd love to see. I really would love to see more of her. I um, I really enjoyed the opening of two point where we get to see. Like, I mean, again, we only see her in the plug, but like, I enjoyed like hearing her sing her little song and like talk about how she was going to take down the angel. And like, same thing at the end of the end of two point I enjoyed that. Like, I feel like we they've done a pretty like in two point they did a pretty good job of building her a character without. Having a lot of screen anything. time yeah. for her. Yeah, like I think I think yeah. 2.0 has really effective characterizing dialogue, and 3.0 is like, y'all like lore? <laughs> I'm like, I, I'm <laughs> like, not like, not really. <laughs> I, I like, I like lore. Was this lore or was this poetry? <laughs> like, I don't know. You know? I don't know yet. Like, I would, I think when I see the fourth one, I'll know for sure what exactly this movie is fully trying to do because I have like, my assumptions based on as it as as a standalone film or as a sequel to two and one and in conversation with like the original show in episode twenty four of the show, but like ultimately, I don't know if it's lore or characterization. Like it's a like I think it's a little bit of both because there are a lot of info dumps in this movie that I think I'm glad to have, and for the most part, like. I don't know, like, Futsuki is such a weird guy where I'm like, technically him telling Shinji a bunch of stuff kind of feels like characterization for him. But it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it is, I think it is. I actually, I actually agree with that. I think that, like, his choice to tell Shinji something is actually maybe one of the only, like, really firm pieces of interesting characterization in this movie. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, that's the thing. Like, Mari, yeah, Mari feels exactly the same. And I'm like, I don't know what the, like, I guess the fact that she's exactly the same probably does say something about her, but I just, I'm just so bored by what it says. <laughs> I, I, uh, I, I ended up feeling the same way as you were finishing that sentence. I was like, oh, oh yeah, I guess I could kind of see her being exactly the same. Cause it's like her whole character feels like she's a, a crossover from a different franchise entirely. She, she so, is like, someone who has know. fun piloting robots and like, exactly. So her life probably didn't change that much. Cause she got to keep doing her job that she likes and having a good time. Yeah. Like, not to not to borrow Chris's point, but like, when is Mary coming to WWE, please <laughs> and thank you. Please. I just want like her to have a standalone movie. Like, wouldn't that be cool? Like, we talked about how we don't really know what her deal is. She's just kind of like here. Like, I don't even need necessarily to like know what her deal is, but just like put her in a situation where like I can just watch her be her for two hours. Like, mm-hmm. I'd be in. Uh, yeah, um, part of yeah. me is like yes, but part of me is like, is she only fun when she's bouncing off of something we know? It's possible. Um, possible. Okay. Uh, here's my, my last criticism. I get really annoyed by the, like, what does it mean to like shit with Ray? Because she's, like, having full-on conversations, and then suddenly is like, I am a robot alien baby. I don't know what things mean. And it's like, okay, even if they've taught her everything except the concepts of, like, liking things, it just feels extremely I get it, to borrow Joel's old phrase. Uh-huh. Like, even if it's like, ooh, it's so sad, because, like, she knows how to pilot a robot, but she doesn't know what it means to like something. And I'm just like, I get it. Like, come on. Like, I don't need this. My, like, my, my, I, the thing is, I agree with you, and my issue is not that it's weak. It's that We've done it with Ray already. <laughs> like, like it, it yeah. is unsatisfying that she is reduced to zero 
and she at this at this point it seems like she will have an arc in four that I'm I'm interested to see where it goes based on how this movie ends. It's like oh well, this Ray is going to maybe do something different than the last Ray, but. And in the same way that I'm interested on what the fuck it means for Gamora to be in the next Guardians movie, like because of how Endgame goes. But ultimately, she is reduced to this like, we've seen this before situation of like, she doesn't feel anything. Yeah, it's sad. Yes, I get it. And it's it seems like like my it's not a defense, but like my response to it is be like, I think they're doing it to play with like, like the point of that is for shinji to to try and deal with that like shinji's trying to process the fact that the person he ended the world to save is in front of him but also she isn't and it's again it's something that we can look at shinji process and think about shinji processing but we do not feel it is it is that same issue Mm -hmm. of like the barrier between us and the emotion of the text that I wouldn't, like, watching the, the television show, I wouldn't describe as an issue. I think that's what it's doing. But following 2.0, it feels like uh, it feels like an issue. It feels like I should be attached to this because I was so attached to Shinji's actions in 2.0, and now I am just watching them. I'm, like, totally okay with the concept you're describing. I just mean, like, on a literal basis, I don't like when they try to act like the person I just saw have a normal conversation, then suddenly has no idea what it means to like something. I feel like on a literal dialogue choice level, it just, like, it's, like, insulting to me. Like, there's no way that she's talking about everything else here, and it's suddenly, like, what does that mean? You know, I don't know. It's just, like, I just wish they could have made that a little bit more, like, Ele- fitting for what they're trying yeah. to do with it yeah I, I, i've you know? seen enough shit at nerve where i'm like yeah buy it <laughs> but that's me i don't know like I, I guess i guess that implies that like gendo does not interact with her outside of like do this do this which is like we don't know we don't see that but like because in 2.0 gendo does hold conversations with that ray but we never see ray hold a convert like this ray in 3.0 we never see her hold a conversation with anyone that isn't an order other than Shinji. Right. And she's like, I don't like I I have no social skills whatsoever because I was born in a test tube. We don't know how recently. We don't know how many rays we've been through at this point. Yeah. We just know that this is I I guess we know that this is the ray that saved him a second ago from from the wonder. I figured out more of why it bothers me while you're saying that. Because for a show as, like, unique and singular as Evangelion is, that beat of, like, oh, this person doesn't know what things mean feels super, like, heard. I've seen that a million times. Like, oh, this poor robot or this poor alien doesn't know what it means to have a friend. Like, Mm -hmm. I've just seen that a million times. And, like, unlike other things in this show where, like, it's kind of, like, bending expectations or doing something that you've never seen before, that's kind of like, all right, I know what this scene is. Like, Yeah, I feel you. Yeah. I, I absolutely agree with that. And that's, that's, and like, the thing is, like, I'm like, yeah, I see why they're going for it. I think it comes with baggage that they did not properly account for. <laughs> yeah. Like, 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 they didn't make it engaging this time for us, the yes. viewer, because mm-hmm. we've seen it before. But they also are like, right. like, it's like, oh, yeah, we're doing this for Shinji. And that's like, it, it, it feels right. like just a plot device rather than any real character moments, which I think is kind of true of this movie as a whole is it's more uh, plot beats than character right. moments. Yeah. I think like, I think the things that like the things that work for me about Ray in this movie are the things that are not them actually talking. Like, I think mm-hmm. the like 
I I know I've said that like her living in a shipping container on the edge of a giant pit does work for me. It says more about her than any piece of dialogue. Right. I think like the shots of her like carefully walking them through this like ruined landscape work for me. I think like him coming back and leaving the book after book after book like says something about their relationship in a way that's really interesting. And then as soon as we get into a conversation with her, it's like, oh, it's cliche robot girl. Right. Like I think Chris bit, is yeah. absolutely right in that yeah. way. I'm like I think it works if it was just like less of it. Like it's like one line of dialogue and I know all that I need to know that like sh- like it, it's good yeah. for us to know that that barrier exists for Shinji, but like yeah. they spend so much time in it where it's like, well we know. Like and like we we continue to see Shinji do all the book stuff, which means which also again like tells us all we need to know about how he is, you know, responding to it and treating her. But like right. yeah, the the conversation is like uh func- like too functional rather than like really like how do, how do you write good character dialogue for uh, someone who doesn't have a character yet like and is trying to have one in real time like it's right it, and that's why it's been it's been done so many times and often doesn't work well y'all want to hear the the few bits of praise i have before we get out of here yeah we have not talked about the gay thing yet so we're going to have to do that and then we can get out of here <laughs> okay I, I did throw out a couple of things I liked while we were talking about stuff, but the ones yes. I haven't mentioned yet, I like how Big Match Mari calls Asuka princess. That was yeah. fun. There was a song that played over Ray and Shinji's meeting that reminded me of Majora's Mask, so I like that music. Um, mm-hmm. I always liked the, the music anim- in Ava. Yeah. The animation of Mari shooting the Ava in the head in the beginning ruled. It was mm-hmm. so cool. I really do think Mari gets the best animation in this, just like yeah. flat out. Well, yeah, because she has, like, no baggage. She's just cool. Like, in the, <laughs> and that kind of works for, like, when you want to see some, like, just cool action in these big, fancy, high-budget blockbuster robot movies. Yeah. Which, like, this movie isn't really about at all, but, like, it is kind of like a breath of fresh air when it happens. Here, Here is something that I'll have to say. Over the course of the three Rebuild movies, I did absolutely never got tired of there being guns the size of buildings. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's just cool. You, no one it's, can it's deny a- that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all right, Chris, keep going. Oh, actually, oh, sorry. one music thing. Yeah, go for one it. One music thing, which, uh, just to loop back, is I, I love that uh, Ritsuki, uh, her, like, I love the, like, hard metal guitars. Oh, like, yes. I love that that's her leitmotif. Like, so much. It's very I, good. I first... It took me a second to be one over in it, but then once I realized that every time she does something awesome as a commander, it's, like, badass guitars, I'm like, holy fuck, I'm into this. Okay, now I'm done. <laughs> okay, the, you, but you reminded me that that's good. You reminded me I do have one more music thing after after this. My last compliment is that the new core introduction is very good. Like, walking into yes. that bass and looking down and seeing him playing the piano in this big, like, weird mix of, like, nature and this, like, crumbled building like that was just like immediately very like evocative and cool because you're like oh i know who that especially because if you've seen the show and you know who core is and like what his deal is it's very like yeah kind of it draws you in really well i I think i think that's a very good moment that works uh regardless of your experience because i think it's evocative if you've seen him uh just in passing in the past two movies and i think it's also like extremely evocative if you're like uh if you've seen the show and you're like yes finally i get to see koru and fuck, he's playing a piano, what the fuck is that going to lead to? And it leads to the gayest right. moment in this entire franchise. <laughs> yeah. Which is a franchise the, the, that is often gay! Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
this is my very last thing here is about music. I don't really have anything to like, say about it. I didn't really bother like diving into like what I think it means or anything. But I, I did notice that the song in the beginning of this movie mentioned it had the lyric "I am not alone," which like the first movie, like 1.0, was called like "You are not alone." Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, they're doing something with that. They probably are, <laughs> or it's just like poetry and it rhymes. <laughs> yeah, that's all. I'm I'm cashed. Let's talk about the gay stuff. I'm I'm basically cash too, except I think that like we gotta talk about the like the gayness and the masculinity because it's just such a huge part of this movie, not just like emotionally, but also just time wise. They really are like, okay, we're gonna pause our big budget action movie for twenty minutes to have a twenty minute like montage about Yeah. This, which I don't know if it's good pacing. I I and I don't know if I could defend it, but it is like, well, okay, thank you. I will take this food a little bit. Yeah, it's this. This movie is like, you know, so much just like for for better or for worse uh, in the terms of the fact that they're like trying to world build and show you what this new world is like and introduce you to or not not really introduce us to characters. We just kind of see new characters and uh, try and ascertain what's different. Um, but because like I, I think the fact that this movie is so holy. Shinji Akari's story is like a, a like it's what they're going for it's the reason that nothing is explained like it's <laughs> for right. so it's kind of like you know double-edged sword but like it very much is like yeah the first half or the, the, the first third uh is you know his introduction to this new world we see him saved uh by you know Asuka and Mari in fucking orbit his introduction to Wele Willy and like time has passed and that's all fucking weird then like second act you know him at nerve him being gay with Kaworu and connecting with someone and struggling with like all his shit. Uh, and then the third act is, okay, well, if I get in the robot, I can make things better again. That's all I want to do. Everyone fucking hates me. And Kaworu, the one person I trust now said that if I get in the robot, I can make, I can change things for the better. And it gets fucking worse. And like that, that through line is there. It's, you know, your mileage may vary with it. Uh, but like, and also, I think a lot of our, like, a lot of my complaints are like, ah, I wish we had more time with everyone else. But, like, also your mileage may vary with the, the pacing of it. But, like, uh, mm. so much of that middle section is just like, hey, let's dig into, like, let, let's make all of the subtext a, a little bit louder with Kaworu. How loud? Right. Uh, rainbow filter loud. Not very loud, but. <laughs> I didn't have a problem with the pacing of, of that stuff because I, I, I liked seeing Kaworu almost be Shinji's therapist and kind of like you, you watch him mm-hmm. working through some of the issues that we know the character has with this person who is like this new person in his life he kind of like looks up to and is like taking in different perspectives from like I liked that stuff I thought it was good for like uh you know for Shinji's character and Kaworu's character as well so I, I you know for all my other issues with it like that was not a part of the movie that I struggled with at all I liked watching them kind of sit and muse over over, yeah, like, yeah. W- whether she just should try to be good at the piano or not, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I like it too. I, like, I, you know, in the show, he was playing cello, so we already like, you know, presumably, if you're assuming that's like still true or or not, like, you know, it's cool to see him have inclination with like musical expression again. Mm-hmm. And like, he's always listening to that fucking Walkman as a coping mechanism. So like, presumably, music is important to him, right? And I I think that like it really it really does resonate with me in the like. F- finding for the first time in your life like an older queer person yeah and not that Kara is that much older than him but like well he seems to be ageless but 
Right, he, right. He, he like, knows like, what's going on. I think that's what you're getting at. Right, right. Like, the first time in your life you find, like, uh, a queer person who who knows themselves more than you know yourself. And, like, kind of getting yeah. the promise, the promise that it will get better, that, like, that you can know yourself, you'll be able to figure yourself, yourself out, that you will you will find a way to be that that has meaning. Yeah. And, and sometimes you project feelings onto that when they're not even, you know... Right. actually like, that though even even if like it's not really romance it's just sometimes you have when you have that first experience it feels right. like it yeah sometimes you spend all of seventh grade piteously in love with your uh social studies teacher because he's the first like queer person you've ever had a significant relationship with and it's not real but at the same time it's incredibly real it, it yeah it, it feels real at the time which i think is what's you know significant about yeah. Re- reflecting on that constructively like there's a lot of conversation yeah. about uh I, this was something that i think we lightly touched on in the episode 24 when we were talking about like the translation of like whether or not kawari should say like or love and it's like it's it doesn't really matter because it's not really about it, it's it's about a connection with someone who has it together and makes you feel like you're allowed to be yourself it doesn't really matter if it's friendship or love and it doesn't change what kawaru or what uh, shinji is projecting onto kawaru um like kawaru could say like you know it's nice that we're getting close it's nice that we're being friends like you're worthy of someone like liking you and it matters just right. as much for what shinji is going through and what he is seeing in kawaru right even though i think there's a you know obviously a lot of subtext in those scenes and yeah. uh but like just just to speak to like it's it, it doesn't have to be like romantic for shinji to feel like it's romantic and that's like i think right. extremely real and um i, I, right. I think better nuanced in the show than it is in this movie but still there <laughs> yeah i mean i like because i'm gay and love men i want to interpret it as like reciprocally romantic but i think in the end it doesn't like you said it doesn't matter right like because it is obviously a meaningful relationship and you don't often get I mean, I don't watch a lot of anime, so I don't want to make an assumption about what you get in anime. But, like, in big-budget action movies, you don't often get a, a pause to really meaningfully work through a homosocial relationship and what it can mm-hmm. mean for growth. And so, like, this movie means a lot for a lot to me in that way. And I think also that, like, the end, when we realize that Kawaru is as fucked up as Shinji. Like, not in the same way, but, like watching him like sit in the eva plug and like experience panic as he sees that things are not how he expected them to be mm-hmm. like also resonates with the moment that you like as a queer teen like you meet the person who seems like they have it together and knows themselves more and, and eventually they don't in front of you and it ruins everything right. or you you or you have a moment where like you you realize that they have as much trauma as you do mm-hmm. and that they they are in this position sort of despite not despite that but like the reason you connect with them is because they are fucked up too not because they are a pure person who has reached out to who you, is better or right? like has it figured out like yeah it's 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 yeah absolutely and i think that's a great thing to talk about with kawaru right like i had a moment like to get personal for a second like i had a moment where uh one of the worst years of my life was 10th grade um i lost in very quick succession like three people who were incredibly close to me and I didn't do any schoolwork. I didn't do anything except hide in my physics teacher's classroom and cry. And my physics teacher was, like, really meaningfully there for me during that time. 
And she was also, like, the first lesbian person that I had a really significant relationship with, right? And about halfway through the school year, she confessed to me that she had just left, like, a abusive relationship. Not in, like, a really, in, like, a healthy way. Not, like, in, like, I'm putting this all on a kid who's having problems. Mm-hmm. But in a, like, I was, like, I was telling her that, like, I feel like I'm in a cave and I don't know how to get out. And she's like, well, I have to tell you that, like, I'm in a place where that seems really, like, that I have that same feeling and I'm working on getting out. And there are ways than, like, people who know how you're feeling. And, like, that really reminded, like, reminded me of this moment where, like, oh, Kararu is, like, having to make sacrifices too, right? It's not just Shinji. Mm -hmm. Like, I think a lot of what Shinji feels like is that, like, oh, he has to be the one always making the bad decision, right? He has to be, like, and in comparison to a lot of adults, he is. He is the one going through, like, all this pain and stuff. But I think it's meaningful for him to see Karu having to, like, I don't think it's good that Kawaru has to die for obviously not wanting to bury gay people, but, like, mm-hmm. I, I do think it's meaningful for him to have to see Kawaru make a bad decision and, like, make the decision that doesn't, like, prioritize himself. Because that was a meaningful thing for me to see as a teen growing up, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I think that that, like, the the sort of arc of his relationship with Kwaru rings really true in this movie, even if I wish that it was better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I was trying to think of, like, other movies where, like, I had, like, like I can think of like comparable things, and I think one of the one of the plot lines in Cloud Atlas, I think, is kind of good about that. The one that where Ben Wishaw is like, uh, is that his name? Yeah, uh, he's like Ben Wishaw, trying to learn piano from the older guy, and he's like clearly has like oh yeah a a, 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 a contradiction of like romantic feelings, but also like professional uh like admiration feelings, and he's also like you know canonically like writing to his boyfriend or fian- or I don't remember their scale of their relationship i wanted to say fiance but like um he's mm-hmm. clearly a gay man and he's like yeah uh, it and then it becomes an issue with that uh that teacher um yeah but uh there's a list on letterboxd of uh films about lgbt people lgbt people where the main plot isn't about them being lgbt and i was looking at some of these and i was like nah, i think that's kind of what that movie was about <laughs> but <laughs> especially like todd haynes poison is definitely about sexuality um or bound um, the wachowski's bound yep Thank you. To, all of uh, what the Wachowski's movies are about being trans. Um, yeah, except for m- maybe I think Speed Racer is more about the film industry. But oh no, it's about being trans. Well, I, yeah. It, 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 when they make a movie, it is about being trans inherently. But right, right. Which is yeah. I, I was just gonna say that like one of my favorite podcasters came out via an essay about how trans uh, Speed Racer was a trans narrative. Hell yeah. Uh, came out as trans mask via that essay and so that movie is so cemented as like the trans mask movie for me i fucking mm-hmm. love speed racer it's a good fucking movie and i i think that like i i know that there's a lot that's been written oh i just remembered something else i need to say about this movie i think that there's a <laughs> lot that's been um that's been written about like shinji trying to escape masculinity and i don't really read that i think he's trying to find his own like comfort with it like it's not comfortable i don't think he's trying to escape he's just trying to be comfortable in his own body like or in the world that surrounds him because everybody fucking is hates him or uses him for something right and i i think that like having a positive masculine relationship that is not coded like 
well it is coded because it's gay coded but like that is not there's rainbows on screen and two horses right uh again two horses as being gay code for gay is uh, something I take issue with, but like, um, sure, yeah, not, fair, but <laughs> no, no, you, you that <laughs> you're right that it is code for being gay. I think it shouldn't be, but that's a different thing. That's but yes, thing is, like, also fair. Also, in 2.0, we do get the line that gender has something to do with love. So, like, the <laughs> right, foundation but like, is there. But like, his his like his weird shit with like Kaji is so coded in like masculine bullshit, and his yeah. like his relationship with his dad is super coded in masculine bullshit. Uh-huh. And like, I think, I think it's like, it becomes like, Oh, he is not trying to escape masculinity as much as he is trying to like find a, a way to communicate despite masculinity. Yeah. Like it makes right? sense of because, it. Right. Like one of the big things that like, I think I try not to use the term toxic masculinity ever because I think it's much more meaningful if you say something specific about mm-hmm. it rather than just like, oh, it's toxic. Well, yeah, it it very quickly became like this weird blanket term for people to just say they didn't like something. <laughs> yeah, they just thought it was bad because it has men in it or whatever, like, which is not really true. But like, but I think the point is that like one of the things that modern masculinity does do is it obscures what actual meaning is, what what is actually happening. Like, um, and I think that the, one of the things is that, like, that Shinji is wrestling with that. Like, he is, he is wrestling, like, his, like, fucked up masculine relationship with his father is, uh, like, and their inability to talk is obscuring the actual, like, emotional processes that both of them are going through. And I think that what we see with Kwaru is, like, not something where it gets demystified, really, but, like, where we can, can see a different kind of emotional language building, which is, again, I think something that I really resonate with. Yeah. Still I, I, I think pacing, still weird shit. Yeah, but. that's the thing. Like, this, this is such a good conversation, and I love thinking about this stuff with Kaworu. And then I'm just like, man, do I want to rewatch this movie? And I'm like, no, because it th- all of this comes, like, in between a bunch of confusing shit that, like, right. I, 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 I like watching it. And, I, and I, I like this movie, you know, obviously a lot more than Chris, but uh, it's, it's still, like... Uh, this is, I feel like I'm going back to the earlier part of the show where it is more satisfying to critically engage and intellectually engage with the material than it is to actually watch it on screen. Yep. And I think it's so jarring to, for that to happen after the most satisfying to watch thing in the franchise. Like, it's, it's such a weird time for this to happen in the, like, lineage of Evangelion. Right. They were like, we gave you your satisfaction. Now we're done with that. You had your getting the robot moment. Now you're going to go back to the trauma. <laughs> Which I kind of like respect on paper to like, like, yeah, I don't mind that. Cause, Cause I'm like, this is, yeah, this is the moment where that rug pulling is going to be the most, like, it's going to hit you hardest on the ass now because two is such a high point. I'm going to make a joke. That's only for Joe. Okay. Eva three makes Eva two feel like Eva one. <laughs> I don't know even I mean like the joke is very funny I I have to wonder if that's like I don't know if that's true Ava 3 makes Ava 1 like Ava 2 yes I think that's I think that that's I think that's the better kind of the joke I just (laughs) but the joke is very good I just finished listening to the Tomorrowland episode yesterday so I what a fucking movie Tomorrowland is (laughs) anyway anyway (laughs) I think the, the, the last really huge thing that I want to talk about and then we can We've been here for hours. Um, yes. My house has grown dark. I think that, like, I... I think this is going to be, like, not something, like, a lot of people know about me, but I, um... 
I've done a lot of study and research about nuclear history in the United States. Um, I don't know as much about it in, like, cultural, like, the cultural place that nuclear stories have in Japan, simply because I grew up in New Mexico, so a lot of my research was about, like, that, right? Mm -hmm. But I think that one of the things that I really enjoyed about Evangelion, the whole thing, like, obviously only the rebuilds, because that's all I've seen, but um, I think that, like, this is the thing that probably gets the closest I've seen to, like, what feels like a real depiction of nuclear, of, like, the mythology around nuclear weapons in, like, a very literalized and visual way. Mm. Because a lot of the, like, a lot of the things that, like, happen around supercritical explosions are so weird and so strange that, like, it's really hard to actually get your brain around them. Like, some of the things that, like, actually happened at the Trinity Test is, like, the Trinity Test, like, actually turned a large portion, like, literally turned a large portion of the desert to green glass. And, like, the day that the Trinity exploded is, like, a lot of people who saw it say, well, that's the day that the sun rose twice, because it was looked so literally like a sunrise that people could not tell whether or not it was like when which one was the real one and that it stupid like the trinity test stupefied animals like didn't kill them just stupefied them so there's like these descriptions of like nuclear scientists walking through the desert and seeing like donkeys just like frozen like unable to move stupefied by the blast Mm -hmm. and like you you hear about these things and then you see them like nuclear weapons like pictured on tv and it's like just a mushroom cloud yeah like it's none of like you you climb into the refrigerator and you bounce along and you wake up and you're fine yes and there's nothing weird happens and it doesn't fundamentally change the world and Mm -hmm. there's no and explosions don't actually make things freaky but like the the truth is is that like nuclear explosions are so massive that they do things that are indescribable and i think that like what eva does as like building a mythology for these like weapons that are that are nuclear weapon analogs like they just are Mm -hmm. like you can't get away from that even though it it is something that I i would say that i think the rebuilds are a little more engaged with in their their visual yes. language and their landscape in a way that the, the original show like really only is in flashbacks like the second impact is a big fucking deal that's terrifying but we don't see as many mm-hmm. effects lingering on modern tokyo 3 in the way that rebuild is like immediately you are looking at like seas of blood everywhere as a side effect of the uh collective uh, trauma that right. you know we've gone through because of the the second impact and um i i mean yeah like they are i, I they're definitely like you know those those analogs right and as a lot of like I mean, a lot of kaiju stories kind of are uh and right. I, I think that's a very interesting point to think about going into ano's next film being shin godzilla right and I, and I think that like one of the things that like just really struck me is like watching these like Obviously, like, explosions that end up looking like crosses mm-hmm. aren't real, right? But, like, I think in some ways they are realer than just putting a mushroom cloud on screen. It's a religious moment. It is absurd. Like, it's absurd. And I think, like, I think that the way that the characters talk about these weapons, not just, like, about Eva, and, like, I really, I didn't pick up on it the first time I watched this movie, I think especially because it doesn't, 
like, but, like, the stuff in 2 about only having three Evas and, like, having to lock down one Eva if you get mm-hmm. a new Eva. Bureaucracy. Is, like, bureaucracy, but also, like, mutually assured destruction. Yes. And yeah. so what actually, last, last thing, and you, we've hit my special interest point. <laughs> we're, like, I was, Ben talks I was, about Nucleus. I'm, I'm wondering if we're going to get to that three hours, 33 minute mark. <laughs> <laughs> lovely that would be lovely i am glad that you brought that though because it's i mean that's obviously cool to talk about just in general but especially in this context i feel like that is additive I, to the podcast so thank yeah, you yeah because i because as you bring it up i'm like yeah that has been like a subplot that we've i don't think ever engaged with out loud on the podcast but no, it's like definitely there. yeah all right all right but now i'm gonna go galaxy brain i'm gonna talk about like a real piece of history which is that for a lot of the 70s and 80s, we had missile silos in the United States that were manned by two men teams, right? And the two men teams, one person was awake 12 hours, and the other person was awake 12 hours on shift. But if you wanted to have, but if you wanted to launch the nukes, they had to turn the, the keys simultaneously. Mm-hmm. And there's a reason I say two man teams, not two person teams, because there were women who were qualified to do this. But uh, the government said that if two, they put, if they locked a man and a woman in a woman in a missile silo, the man and the woman were going to fuck. And they, uh-huh. they had to, they, they couldn't be fucking when the nuclear codes came when the nuclear launch orders came. And so the only way to ensure that nobody would fall in love with each other inside a missile silo was to put two men in a missile silo together. Yeah, um, of course. And, and No man has ever loved a man. Right. And no man has ever loved a man, and no man's feelings for another man have ever gotten away in the way of them following orders, no, ever. No, ever. And yet I can't think but help but think that that's exactly what Shinji and Karu are in this movie, which is that they've given him a partner he can't fall in love with, like, because his relationships with Rei and Asuka became so problematic in 2.0. Yeah. Like, not problematic. It led to, I mean, problematic in the sense that the second impact's a problem. <laughs> Right, right, <laughs> right. Like, they, like they, his relationships with the women in his squad became like a point of contention against his following orders. Mm-hmm. So let's lock him in a missile silo with Carl with Karu. Like, like, and then, and I, I, I just think that that like that symbolism of like these two people who have to rely on each other because they cannot turn the keys without the other one mm-hmm. is like such an interesting and probably inadvertent parallel to like real life history in a way that is, I, I am just, I don't even have like, this is what it means. Just like I have been sitting with the, with like the, the image of this parallel in my mind. And I'm like, wow, I'm going to sit with this a while longer. Yeah. Well, I think too. Like, I don't know if you've seen uh, Gunbuster, Diebuster, or I guess more specifically, I should say Gunbuster because it's it's Ano. The only anime I've seen is Naruto in this. Okay, I'm not kidding. I I I mean, actually, that's not true. I I've seen like a uh, a bunch of other smaller animes, but like I'm I'm not. I haven't really watched any mecha anime or anything. So I my two recommendations for you in all of anime is Gunbuster and Ping Pong. Ping Pong being probably the best anime ever made. It's 11 episodes directed by Masaaki Yuasa. Um, But Gunbuster, I think, is 
be, like looking at Gunbuster as like the synthesis point for for Ano's storytelling, and like looking at the arc from that to now, uh, through to like Shin Godzilla, I do think he is always fascinated with like the consequences of technology moving forward, and like stuff that with with rebuild is very pointedly like nuclear mm-hmm. with especially like the visual language of this movie. I don't know if it's always been i think a lot of the stuff in ava probably is and i think mm-hmm. i think some of the stuff in gunbuster might be textually nuclear even but i don't remember but yeah i think i think it's like an interesting like through line of like a, a lot of directors have that like you know a lot of miyazaki movies are about war uh and warfare and like uh-huh. the technology and how it you know it turns people including like like you know one of ano's earliest credits is animating on uh nausicaa in the valley of the wind which we've talked about yeah animating a big fucking like weapon of mass destruction that like melts on the people trying to use it instead of working but but yeah i think that's like a very interesting like um you know through line to to read into with these movies it it kind of has me thinking about what what four might do in a very different way that i hadn't considered which is interesting but it's 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 very interesting for you to bring up like the, the two men thing and like how uh like that presumption of like yeah, you know, straight people, right? Like, is built into such a serious thing and how that, um, whether intentionally or not, mirrors uh, the Kaworu Shinji stuff. Right. Which is very, very interesting. Def- yeah, definitely going to linger in my brain longer than um, it Yeah, it like, there's there's no real answer to what it means or anything, but I was just like, I, I did, was like, wow, like this, like, there is a, I think, a presumption of the kind of relationship that Karu and, like, that mm-hmm. uh, Ikari... Uh, what Gendo Akari like makes an assumption of the kind of relationship it's not is going to have with this with Kawaru that I don't think is right, and then yeah. things happen because of that assumption. And um, I don't know. I don't have a. There's no good like conclusion to this. Just like, hey, listeners, think about that for a while. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, I don't know how much we'll actually talk about Evangelion in the next episode, which is you know, about going to be about Godzilla primarily. And then, mm-hmm. you know, kind of be a little bit of a bonus episode, I think in energy, but it, it is interesting to be like, this might be the, the last time we really talk about Evangelion and like uh, the rebuild films, like, you know, are, are, you know, like this is, this is kind of the capping point mostly I think of like what we can expect, like, like what, like I'm, I'm Chris, I think you, you, you mentioned earlier that like you, you know, you're still interested, but, like, not necessarily as excited as you were before. Um, but, like, how do you, th- like, how do you genuinely feel, like, what, 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 like, I don't even know what I'm really trying to ask. I'm just really curious, like, what's on your mind when you think about there being one more movie in this franchise? Um, I think that, like, you brought up with like the ray thing in particular i do think that they've put themselves in positions where they can still salvage this and like they can like make something cool out of where we leave off here and that the characters can can go in in good directions in that last one i'm at this point just hoping that it's like a it's a it's a pattern here where it's like all right we'll make a movie chris won't like and they'll make one he loves and they'll make one he doesn't like and they'll make one he loves like so i just hope that like four is like it pops off like two did for me but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess I just need to start prepping for the 
the possibility that I go to sit down whenever I'm going to watch that, and it's like, oh, it's like 1.0 and 3.0, so it's like it's it could be an anticlimactic ending to the whole deal for me. But I'm hopeful that I will find it to be like an equal in terms of the ending of the show and end of Evangelion in terms of like, that's a different spin on this that I'm glad exists. And like, you know, I, I hope to get something out of it, whether or not I can ask to be entertained is <laughs> like, I at least hope that like I get something out of it. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I, I think that like, you know, I like this movie a decent amount. I'm interested in what it's doing, even if it's not completely up to my preference, but at the end of the day, 2.0 exists so i think i'm always gonna be happy <laughs> with with how things have gone like uh you know kind of like my outlook on like well we have the last jedi so i can't complain too much but yeah um ben would you describe yourself as like more invested in what happens next to them before now like where are you at in this in in this arrangement um i have n- no <laughs> I am in a place where I cannot imagine the world that 4.0 is going to come out into. And yeah. I I can't imagine a world, what a world it would be that comes into it. I can't imagine that people are going to have a lot of patience for apocalypse stories. Well, that is something that's interesting because, like, if it's if it's an ending that's more in line with the show, it could be much needed catharsis for people right now. It could be like helpful to everyone's spirits. And if it ends like end of Evangelion, it could be like, Anna, why are you beating us into the dirt? Life sucks. Like, yeah, we know we live in hell. And I, I just, I don't know. I don't think I can, um, I, I have no feelings about 4.0 because I have, I am so adrift from like media and everything that I can't imagine what it would be or what it would say to us. That, like, I think that the thing is I trust Anno enough that when it does come out, that it will be interesting and novel, and even if it's not good, that it will be saying something that I would like to at least sit with for a little while. But, like, other than that, I don't know. I just feel kind of a gulf when I think about the future of Eva. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I just want to see it. <laughs> I'm putting, I'm yeah. putting, I'm putting it out there. I'm just like, I'm, I'm making this happen and be real in my brain. It is going to come out in theaters when things are safe. And I'm going to have a, a nervous Rex community meetup and we're all going to go to the theater together. That's what's going to happen when 4.0 comes out. In the optimistic way, I definitely like sat here for some of this and be like, I can't wait to travel to wherever Chris and Joe are to see this movie with them. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. That, we're getting a bus. So, like, can't wait to, like, buy a plane ticket to see this movie with friends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which I I do actually legitimately would look forward to. I mean, I would look forward to anything right now. But I think that the thing I'm look- looking more, like, most forward to is, like, the event of having this come out on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> and the event of seeing this it's... with friends. And, and the, like, the certainty of drinking and examining it opening night with friends yeah like it's you know it's hard to say necessarily if it will be like a theater experience for us in the states um because it might be you know out in theaters in you know in japan and it might end up just you know for whatever circumstances whenever that time comes it might just be uh best on digital in the states uh but i i do think much like uh i experienced with kingdom hearts 3 i think it is going to be a big deal <laughs> when it when it just like the fact that it genuinely happens because 
Yeah. Because of the eight year delay and like, it's like, oh yeah, it had a release date. I'm confident that it's like finished. They just, you know, it's theaters are, are not open this summer. Like it was, I think it was supposed to be out in Japan by now. Like as we were recording this, it was June. It was going to come out in June. Yeah. I think it was like June 21st or something, or maybe I'm confusing it with Matt Reeves' Batman, but I think the next year of movies is going to be so weird. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, on that note, I'm now going to share uh, the a teaser trailer that came out last October. Oh, oh, I haven't seen that. This. Um, I so. think there's a second one. I'm going to try and find two. But if y'all want to like sync that up and watch it at the same time. So, yeah, I'm game. I've got it. There's also a 10 minute. Um, there's like a 10 minute thing that was showed at a like, convention, I think, that I talked about with Jay on a re- re- previous episode where I was like, there's a good chance that whole 10 minute set piece is not in the movie. It's just a separate thing based on how like previous teaser trailers were like not in the movie. But yeah, if y'all want to sync that one up and then I have a, let me see if this is all. Yeah. I'm at zero zero. So whenever me too. Three, two, one, go. Okay. okay. You know what that they... reminded me of? What? The opening of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I don't know the last time I, I saw that. I haven't seen that movie for a very long time, yeah. But I don't know why, but it's something about it, just like that musical cue, like, reminds me of the Dolphin song and how, like, weirdly cheerful that is over just the miserableness of things leaving Earth. This may bite me, but I'm excited again now. <laughs> yeah, I I have to say I, I am too. I It's a 30 second teaser trailer it's beautiful the animation is good joe when we eventually do see uh four in theaters like i say with all of my dream scenarios can the podcast just be that we bring uh recording equipment into the denny's we go to after the movie and talk about it over pie yeah yes all right, please yeah. i will i'm not kidding that i will fly there to, to do that yeah if that if that's a thing denny's that happens podcast recording not that i've ever recorded in denny's but i've always wanted to but yeah, I think that's, I think that's it. I think, I think, I think we might have finally exhausted uh, the ability to talk about this film. We are closing the doors of Guff. I'm kind of not surprised that, the, like, I, I knew that it was very possible for this to be our longest episode. I was like, 3.0 is, uh, there is, there is a lot to say about it, either in, like, critique or just asking questions and just, like, it's weird because I feel like it feels like the shortest of one of the three, even though it's like kind of the same to 1.0, but it feels so much shorter than it just because it's like it, it's it spins. I think I think I think it just does less things, even though it's trying to do more things, which is mm-hmm. I feel like I'm just going back to the conversation we had like two hours ago. But <laughs> I knew it was going to be the longest podcast the moment you invited me on. And I'm very sorry. <laughs> I'm very like. I guess we can swing into the end now by me saying, Ben, thank you so much for joining us. I've, I've really enjoyed uh, everything you have brought uh, to this show, your perspective and uh, your, your special interests and in how it has all turned together into the longest episode of this podcast. <laughs> thank you for having me. I, I really enjoyed the opportunity to talk about this, uh, to share my, uh, frankly, wild history with this movie. Um, and like, also, I just like, I like talking about stuff and this is a, this is a good movie to talk about if it's not a good movie period. Like it, it, it's fascinating. Yeah. I'm so, 
I I'm really enjoyed the push. I loved 2.0, and I would not have watched that if I had not needed to have the background for this podcast. And um, I just really enjoyed talking this about mm-hmm. this with y'all. I was prepared for you to show up having only seen this film, to be honest. But I'm glad that you saw 2.0 because it's a good fucking movie. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, it's all paid off for a wonderful episode, in my opinion. And and yeah, thank you again so much for joining us. Uh. Where could people find you online or other things you might work on if uh, they wanted to do that? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Russell Writes, And I have um, games that you can purchase at roswellian.itch.io. I uh, have at least three games that are probably re- relevant to this this situation. I just call this movie a situation, but this conversation... It kind of is, though. I mean, it's... it's... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I have a I have a game called Yearning Oracle, which is about being two men and having to talk about feelings without being able to access your feelings. And I have a upcoming game, which is about being two men trapped in a missile silo, which is what I did huh. all that research on. Um, where the game is about physically moving a doomsday clock forward when you make bad relationship decisions. That sounds a little relevant to this uh this here movie. Yeah, a little. Uh and then I, I also have a, a game which is called The Ship Sinks Here, which was I wrote for Andrew's Jam, which was about like um willing like choosing to engage in anti nuclear and war disarmament movements and how we can tell the story of disarmament stories, like and I think that if you'd enjoy my talk on any of those things that you should go pick up those games in part because I'm also saving for top surgery. So hell yeah. Hell yeah. Also, I, th- I, I don't know how, if you'll be on the whole stream, but I know you're planning on joining Andrew and I, when we eventually play hype swap. Yes. Um, I'm going to bring my Homestuck expertise to that stream. I've never actually played hype swap because I got out of Homestuck fandom <laughs> the right time. I think I might be getting back in, in the middle of that stream. So I guess we'll see what happens. I I will be playing in cosplay, so there's that. Hell yeah. I have promised to help Andrew find his god tier on stream. Mm-hmm. So look forward to that. Hell yeah. Uh yeah, follow uh Orange Groves Net on Twitter uh for updates on the charity streams that we do. I think Andrew and I talked about it briefly on the last episode uh in, in his plugs. But uh yeah, hive swap stream coming up. Uh, Orange Groves Net on Twitter for updates and uh, twitch.tv slash the Orange Groves if you just want to uh, hit that follow and um, I'm sure it'll be on a Saturday. Um, all that being said, Chris, hello. Hi. How you, how you doing? I'm all right. Where can people find you on the internet and other stuff that you're working on? You can find me at Topher Disgrace on Twitter. This is the first time I've had to do plugs since all my other podcasts ended, so mm-hmm. I feel weird. I'm kind of in, like, the underground, like, working stage, so it'll be a while before you, like, see anything new from me, but I'm willing to bet there are people out here that listen to my podcast every other week here and have not seen my play or my movies. What are you doing? Go to my Twitter and find my website in my uh, bio and uh, and watch some of that. Hell yeah. Yeah. Old stuff to tide you over until my new stuff. Hell yeah. I think I hear fireworks outside. That's because everyone's so excited about my website. Yeah, I actually, I'm, I'm, hold on, wait, I'm looking at my window and they say, Chris Hutton rules. What the, hold, hold on, holy <laughs> shit. Oh, I'm looking out my window. The same thing just appeared in my sky. 
Oh shit! Oh, the I, fuck! I the like, gates of Guff are opening, and it just says Chris Hunt rules. <laughs> Someone's like, "Oh no, Shinji, you're causing the third situation." <laughs> uh, I would love to be in a world where there were only three situations. God, yeah, honestly, <laughs> the continuation of the second situation, yeah. the third situation. On Twitter, on Twitter, we see our third situation by like eight a.m. Yeah. Yeah, yep. honestly, at the point at which Twitter started having two main characters a day, it's just oh, it's just too much for me. <laughs> yeah, that's enough impacts. Yeah, too many. Um, I guess I should plug my own things. Uh, you can find me on social media that I don't use at Ghost of Joe, Ghost of J. Oh, uh, I tweet about when this show comes out. Um, I don't tweet about Got It Memorized anymore because it's literally just been every Tuesday for years now. <laughs> and I just, I don't have it in me to tweet every Tuesday about like, yep, more of this game. Uh, but that show is very fun and good. If you want to listen to uh, Got It Memorized, Wheels and I are having uh, a great time uh, running through. Got It Memorized nearly killed me once. Oh no. I kind of want to know that story. <laughs> uh, it's a very short story. It's just that I was very, very sick with a uh, chest infection that nearly killed me right about the time I started listening to Got It Memorized, and uh, you did the impression of Goofy getting hit by a rock, <laughs> and I laughed so hard and then coughed so hard that I blacked out and nearly died. I'm glad that you made it, overall. Yes. That podcast is called Got It Memorized. We did all the Kingdom Hearts uh, up through three. Uh, we did the World Ends With You. Um, we're behind on Unchained and uh, Dark Road because we're just having too much fun. Uh, talking about Final Fantasy X, a good video game with um a lot of nuanced depictions of trauma, uh, which uh, might even be similar to some of the stuff we've discussed today. Uh, but you can go check that out. Got it memorized. It's on the same podcast network as this show, uh, theorangegroves.com. Go check out uh some stuff there. Uh, might not, probably won't be out by the time this episode is. Uh, but there is a new show coming down the pipeline uh that i'm really excited for people to hear we just had a, a pilot go up on the patreon and that's 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 that show uh so um, i'm really excited about that also uh cherryton school report uh, a, sh a show on the network that uh was talking about b stars is rebranding into talking about a bunch of other uh shorter anime seasons so if you want more anime talk go check out that um i think they're starting in august i don't remember the exact date off the top of my head because i'm bad at running a network and uh, oh, I was going to say, if you like Got It Memorized, um, and you like my co-host on Got It Memorized, one, you should listen to- I do. You should listen to Very Random Encounters, but also, you should listen to our next yes. episode on Shin Godzilla, which uh, is going to have wheels on it, and uh, past guest, uh, Jory, who is returning as well. Jory. I'm very excited. I am uh, trying to watch a bunch of Godzilla before then. I've been going through the Criterion uh, Showa-era collection, and I, uh, I grabbed uh, 2014 Gareth Edwards' Godzilla from- the library because i think that's going to be a very interesting comparison point uh for for shin godzilla but yeah i'm stoked i'm stoked to talk about the big lizard boy me as well i love big lizards yeah have you have you seen shin godzilla by any chance no i haven't uh i've seen a number of other godzilla films though so it's uh i mean it's very similar to the, the very first one um but i am excited to dig into it that's good news for me yeah i think Ben, Ben, I think I think you'd like it if you like uh, <laughs> if you like some of the things that Anno does. I will have to watch it and then talk about it with you. Yeah. Um. And uh. Yeah. I look forward to to that episode. It, it, a nice little break from Ava before we uh dip this podcast into a little bit of a hiatus vault. 
yeah, Shin Godzilla, it's accessible to rent just about anywhere. Uh, so go go do that. If your libraries are safely doing curbside pickup, check out your local library. Or maybe it's, I don't think it's on like Hoopla or anything, but I don't know. Shin Godzilla's a great movie. And if you like Evangelion and Godzilla, you will definitely like Shin Godzilla. And we're going to talk about it in two weeks. And I think that's all the stuff we can plug. We did pass the 333 moment. I was just about to say. Uh, Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> and uh, I didn't think of an outro. You know, I spent so much time thinking about. We'll give you fan service all the way to the end. Yeah, I guess we will. All right. Well, bye, everybody. <laughs> bye. The gates of golf. Oh, fuck. They're closing. Have Shit. closed. They were open for three hours and 35 minutes. And we talked and now they decided to close. They couldn't take it anymore. Evas are reaching their operational limit. <laughs>